This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. 40 seconds is all it takes for McGregor. Who's next for the Irish superstar? Where does Cowboy go from here? Macy Barber's train to superstardom is derailed. Khabib's dad wants a boxing crossover with Floyd, but with one caveat. And we are joined by Michael Bisping, Leon Edwards, Michael Chiesa, and Curtis Blades. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad at all. No. That's like a Helwani-esque lineup. Yeah, it's still, not, it's still not as good as most of his lineups. But, you know. know. Speaking about good, you look great, Aaron. Well, thank Jeez, you. You got a nice three-piece. I feel like you were maybe influenced by Conor McGregor this week. No, I, I like the three-piece, though. Oh, you you know. look sharp, though. This is, it's more casual. He wouldn't wear, like, a sweater three-piece three suit. Like still, I thought, it's sharp, man. I got to start coming here for these podcasts in suits. I can't come here looking... Like a bum now. I just finished training. I have my sweater on. Yeah, but it sure. won't be every every time you come in. It's going to be a different yeah. day. Sometimes I'll be dressed like a schlub too. No, no, no. You're always looking good. Well, if you uh, listeners are interested in what I look like uh, today, you can go to tsn.ca/ufc. Boom, yeah. And you can watch the videos of the interviews that you'll be hearing on this podcast later yeah. on. If you feel like watching it again, for as you should, yeah. Now reason. you have to just yeah. to check out your nice outfit. But uh, yeah, so the TSN MMA show is starting to enter a little bit of a different look where our interviews will sound a little bit different because they're done Beautiful. over Skype. They won't sound like phone line interviews sometimes. I'm, sh- I'm sure I'll still do stuff over the phone when it comes right. together quickly. But, uh, yeah, you'll, you'll see some examples from this week with uh, Leon Edwards, Kiesa, Blades, I think Bisping. We're going to try to do via Skype also. It hasn't done, been done yet. I'll pull the curtain back a little bit. There you go. But uh, I think what everybody wants to hear is our takes yeah. on the main event of UFC 246. I, w- I want to hear... The whole atmosphere in Vegas, you being there, and everyone keeps saying when Connor fights, it's a different feeling. There's a different energy. There's more excitement. Do you feel that? Is that something you sense when you were there? Is well, it a bigger event? You know, I'll be honest with you. It feels bigger from a media standpoint because there's like 180 media members there. And what, but, what do they have usually? Uh, less than half of that, I'd imagine, really? okay. for like a regular pay-per-view that's not Connor or Khabib or one of the big ones. But... Um, in terms of the city itself, there wasn't much of an atmosphere, honestly. Really? And in the arena, I, w- I was in the back, so it's hard for me to gauge. I heard a little bit of, like, Olays after the fight with people walking in the halls, but it didn't have that same feel as other Connor fights have had really? that I've been to in the past in terms of how the city is kind of, you like know. even walking through the city, yeah, you don't Yeah, like, feel I saw it, the occasional McGregor shirt, the occasional, like, uh, Irish, Irish kind of, yeah, like, the, the Irish imagery or whatever, the flag and clothes and all of that, but... It wasn't the, the same overwhelming amount as there has been in the past. Now, the fight itself did really well. Lots of people watched it. Um, I, I sent you a tweet about what my sister said to me on text message saying uh, she couldn't believe what happened in the fight because she thought it was going to be five rounds. It was yeah. her first UFC fight she's ever watched. She's she like, why wasn't it five it. rounds? Yeah. yeah. And I had to explain to her that like when you watch a UFC fight, this is one of the things that can happen in a main event. But it's also part of the reason why you order it is because this yeah. kind of unexpected stuff happens. Absolutely. So the shoulder strikes is what I want to talk to you about yeah, because yeah. I've never seen a shoulder strike used, yeah. uh, weaponized in that sort of way. Yeah, I've never seen it really either. I mean, I think it's a nice little strike because you can get that close distance. Um, I've seen people throw it in training, but to see it in a fight used like that and effectively yeah, as well. Used as know? a weapon, like not just yeah. to like annoy your opponent. Yeah, I, th- the movement to me... Reminds me of like the headbutt. If you were going to headbutt, it's that kind of same get low, use your leverage, pop up. But he just used it well. I think it's a beautiful strike. My thing is now, are we going to start seeing it a lot more now? Are people going to try to use it? I mean, a lot of times you see that against the cage, right? Because you can press someone against the cage and use those little short um, shoulders. But to see it in open space, to me, was even more impressive. Well, the thing about McGregor is he's so economical with his striking in terms of the precision. Like, 
every shot counts. And yeah. I think Israel is kind of going to be Very one of those fighters. Yeah, yeah, where what he's he throws with intention. He doesn't throw stuff for the sake of volume or for the sake of throwing it for the most part. I mean, obviously, as a fight goes on, you're going to throw strikes. But his precision is unlike yeah. anybody I think we've seen in the UFC. And you need that. And that's what shows why he's so great. Like, I always freak out at my fighters. Like, you can have a fighter against the cage and they're hurt. And you punch them to the head. So the first thing, if you punch someone to the head, they're going to do is hold their head because they're protecting it. It's what's hurt. So a lot of fighters will just start punching elbows, forearms, trying to elbow, and you're just punching off the guard. All you have to do is maybe punch the body. Take a second, take a breath, hit the body, find the open shot. Like watch uh, when Adesanya fights. He, when the guy shelled up, he'll punch the body, try to knee you up the middle, pull your guard. Like he picks his strikes. He just doesn't waste energy off of the guard. And I think... You nailed it. I think those are the two that do it best and sharp. And the best thing, I don't think he got touched in that 40 seconds either, yeah, zero, which is even more zero impressive. Zero significant strikes to the door. I've got, some, I've got some egg impressive. on my face because I had a lot of faith in Cowboy. Yeah, you did. And unfortunately, the two best, the two biggest knocks against him are that he's a slow starter yeah. and that he doesn't show up for the big fights. And both of those things yeah. came true right, off, right out the, the shoot. Me, it was his keeping his chin high. It's He has this ability when he kicks, when he punches, his chin's a little bit... It stays on center line, and he doesn't move it enough. It's it against a, a laser pointer of a left hand like Connor. Yeah. I knew was, it. it didn't really play. In, it. it didn't really play in as a factor though much in that fight. Well, I mean, I mean a, a little bit. Like when you eat a, a head kick like that, if your chin is tucked, there's a little bit more stability. Maybe it would have clipped off the you know the shoulder, then tipped off the head. Maybe it wouldn't have done as much damage. But he was on kick. wobbly legs at that point, anyways. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, but still, it's it's still something that you should. It's been a problem he's always had in his mm-hmm. career from a little technical side. Certainly. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Connor looked great. I mean, the, the, again, he looked great for that 40 seconds. We don't really know how much he's evolved. I think to see how much someone's improved in the time, you need to see the fight go a little bit. You need to see them get hit. You need to maybe see them adapt a little bit, go through something. So um, does that mean he's ready for the Khabib? I, I don't want to get excited and say yes, but I think it was a great overall performance. Well, it was the perfect week for him. Um, in terms of him during fight week, it was very different as well. He was very engaged. He was locked in. He was showing up to things for the most part on time. Um, but I think a lot of it had to do with image rehabilitation. I really do. I was do. just going to say I that. I think that you know, with the allegations against him that the New York Times have published the sexual assault allegations, with the um, him hitting the old guy in the bar, with all of those different things, as well as the fact that he hasn't won in three years, he had to play it as safe as possible all week and and be a good boy, so to speak. And, and he I did think, a good and job. I think that yeah, I mean, he answered that task. And uh, I still think that there are going to be question marks going forward uh, in terms of that. And really, with a Khabib fight, like how, what kind of Connor w- would we see yeah. leading up to a fight where there had been such vitriol and such animosity? beforehand, would he be able to tone it down and be like, well, listen, this man beat me last time. I'm you know, I'm humbled by it and blah, blah, blah. Or is he going to go straight for the jugular like he has in the past? Yeah, we're going to have to wait and find out. I mean, I, I don't know. I think his striking looked great. Um, but again, Khabib's a different animal. I, I mean, his striking, Connor's striking will always be slightly above whoever he fights. But it's the wrestling, the question. He didn't have to wrestle. He didn't have to grapple. It showed, there showed signs in that fight, though, even in that 40 seconds where him starting the fight and overthrowing that left hand. That's like recipe to be taken down. He can't go in there and make those little kind of overthrowing shots against Khabib. I know it would be a different game plan, but, I mean, little 
things like that I think he can clean up. Like, he didn't need to get into that clinch to even throw the shoulder strikes. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. Well, like, he was sprawling, the, and that's what happened. The most precise moment of me, like, I would have been mad at my footer being like, why did you overthrow the punch, and why did you engage that fast? Keep your distance, use your length, use your speed, you know, use your footwork. So, I mean, there's some things, even in that 40 seconds, yes, he got it, but from the minor, minor details as a... Uh, a specialist when it comes to striking, he shouldn't have entered into that clinch. But a, th- a lot of it, I think, is head games because Cowboy all week is saying, I'm not going to take him down. We're going to do this on the feet. Yep. So with that in mind, knowing that Cowboy is not the kind of guy that's going to you know, want to look bad and, and want to go back on his word, yep. he threw that punch because he knows that A, Cowboy is a, sl- uh, you know, a slow starter. B, if Cowboy shoots based on instinct, he's going to second guess it because he doesn't want to be that guy who yeah. said he was going to strike it and didn't, which is exactly what happened. Yeah. Connor kind of hit him with a knee as he was going for like his hip. You know, almost, yeah, right? his hip. Yeah, as, as Cowboy was sort of shooting in. But I think Cowboy, if you watch, he kind of second guesses himself and he's like, okay, I'm going to clinch here yeah, instead of yeah, going, yeah. instead of committing to the takedown, which he might have been able to land. Yeah. We don't know. Yeah. And then uh, from there, it was all Connor. Like Connor, it was Connor's game. Connor grabbed him, he sprawled. As part of that sprawl, he, ca- he traps the arms, throws those shoulders, and basically fights oh. over. And then even when he had the head kick and you see, like, this is how intelligent that he is with his striking. When you see Connor, um, you know, edge forward as he sees Cowboy hit the ground, he doesn't go right in front of him. He's punching on an angle. So, like, everything was, was well done in his footwork and the way he angled. Like, even with Cowboy holding his head, he was on a nice angle to land his strikes right. more effectively. Like... He puts himself in a position to be effective. And, I mean, those subtleties just show that there was a lot of great moments. And when I interviewed him last week, he looked me in the eyes and said, I asked him, what's the story going to be in two years? Like, give us your Mystic Mac permit, uh, prediction. Two years from now, what are we going to have learned about Conor McGregor? That was the way I phrased it. And he said, you'll learn to never doubt me. And he looked me in the eyes and said, never, never doubt me. Strong self-belief, man. And, uh, That's what the yeah, man has. And I did doubt him going into this fight because of the layoff, because he hadn't won in a long time, because of the different intangibles that I had discussed on last week's podcast about, you know, just head-to-head. You have to do that, though. Yeah, absolutely. And I still think that a lot of what I said was valid, but, of course, as mentioned, the narrative behind Cowboy is that he's a slow starter and that he doesn't, you know, doesn't show up at the big moments, and both of those things happened to those narratives played out. And uh, I don't know if it was just that night, if it, I mean... Here's the thing about the levels to MMA is we just don't know if Cowboy's just not on the same level as a McGregor, My as point, an RDA, yeah. as yeah. Um, any of the guys, Masvidal, any of these guys that he's lost to. Because to me, Cowboy's always been kind of one of these top 10 guys, like a perennial top 10, but yeah. not a top 5. You know, like yeah, he's kind yeah, of yeah, the yeah. 5 to 10 range me too. all the time. And uh, that allows him to be the ally of the world, the Alexander Hernandez of the world. But when he gets to the Ferguson, he gets to the Justin Gaethje, he gets to the McGregor. It's like in a video game, you know, yeah. if, you're, if you're playing on very hard. <laughs> Once you get to the to Balrog, Vega, Saget, yeah, and uh, M. Bison, yeah. <laughs> you're in trouble. I don't even try with Bison. I just give up. Yeah, I mean. on very hard, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's kind of my takeaway from it. Now, in terms of what's next... I'm going to put, let you put your matchmaker hat on first because yeah. I have the correct answer for who he should fight next. Yeah. But everybody else seems to have good answers as well. But I've got the correct one. I'm going to sell you on it, Joe, like I, had, like okay. I did last week with Cowboy, right. which means I'll likely be wrong. But <laughs> go ahead. Matchmaker um, hat, Joe. I think with timing, I don't think, and what people want and where it happens, I don't think the Khabib fight should be next, personally. I also don't think he should jump right away to a shot against Usman. And Usman had a cast on. He's injured. So that kind of separates things. Um, I don't think Gaethje will give him a fight 
big enough for what he wants. So I think the right fight for him is going to be Masvidal. All I right. think that's the fight. Well, I'll give you my opinion on this. Okay. Um, I think that Masvidal and Connor is a big fight, big money fight, but a, a risky fight mm-hmm. for Connor, given the size difference. And I think there would be a size difference. To me, I think the fight to make is Conor McGregor versus Justin Gaethje at 170 pounds. Now, let me... Yeah. Let I, me, I heard, actually heard John Kavanaugh saying that. Kavanaugh mentioned that that's who he thinks that yeah, should be next. I just heard that. But yeah. let me explain why from a long-term standpoint. So, if he loses to Gaethje, that's a problem. But it also means that he probably wasn't ready to fight Khabib. What we do know about Gaethje is Gaethje's not going to go for takedowns. He has a wrestling mm-hmm. background, but that's going to be a stand-up fight. That is the best case scenario for Conor McGregor is that he's going to be in a a fight where he knows what to expect. So it'll be a stand-up fight. And the big big thing that everybody's saying right now when they're saying we got to reschedule Khabib and Conor do a rematch is, well, why isn't Justin Gaethje getting a shot? Why, you know, why? He beat, Gaethje beat Cowboy also. And now suddenly Conor beats Cowboy and he's like ahead of Gaethje in the rankings. Well, why don't we end this conversation once and for all? Why don't we have those two fight each other? Now, if Conor wins that fight, there's absolutely nothing you can say to refute the fact that he has earned a rematch. Yeah. Because if Gaethje's the next in line after Ferguson, Poirier's already lost to Khabib. They don't want to do Poirier versus Conor because Conor's already beat Poirier as well. Um, no disrespect to Dustin Poirier. I think that's still a great fight. And I think that Dustin Poirier now is a way better version of the one that Conor beat. Sure. But what's the upside for the UFC? At least if Gaethje beats Conor... You can put together a Gaethje versus Khabib fight. It's a fresh fight. Gaethje will have earned some clout from beating McGregor in the way that Gaethje beats people. So that, to me, is the one that makes absolutely the most sense. Now, it's not the most sellable fight, and it is risky because you are— I think the UFC right now want to protect their golden child, which is that rematch. Mm-hmm. But if, you're, if Conor wants to fight three times this year, and you're looking at it from a box office standpoint— Conor versus Khabib in, say, October or December in Vegas or even November in, at MSG. Which would to be for yeah. Khabib as well. It needs to be a big-ticket locale. If it happens in October or December or November, November, I'd say, is more likely because Khabib doesn't want to fight in Vegas anymore, but whatever, money talks, BS walks. I think that the UFC can make more money by having Conor fight three times in the year, regardless of who he fights. So if he fights Gaethje at International Fight Week... Still a big office draw, big box office draw. And then if he loses to Gaethje and says, I want to fight Nate again, or I want to fight Jorge at the end of the year, or I want to fight whoever, you're still getting three Connor box offices, three Connor pay-per-views versus one really big fight. You get three big fights, if that makes sense. I mean, look at the metrics from Cowboy versus Connor. It was the fourth largest, wasn't it? It was the fourth largest Gates. Gate, but look at the embedded views. Like, it was more views on average than Connor versus Khabib. I I loved one uh, in one of the interviews. Uh, One of the interviewers, the journalist, goes, I just want to thank you. We all make more money when you're here. Which is a lie. (laughs) A bold-faced That's what I was saying. I was like, maybe a few more views, but what money are you making, man? Yeah, no. Let me get in on it. That is not a smart thing to say. Yeah. No, that... We are not making. I didn't make a single cent yeah. more from covering get, this fight as I will from UFC 237. Yeah, yeah, 247. Yeah, it's funny, but I, I know a lot of my colleagues weren't we're, thrilled we're about pissed, that yeah. because it's I just figured, not true. I was going to ask you off air, but I thought it was a good time to ask you here yeah. about that. Point. I asked a colleague of mine. I go, how you know how are you doing today? He goes, it was the day after that press conference, and he goes, well, I'm here covering the fight, still with the and, same and amount I, in my and, pocket. And I was like, well, you're not having a good time. He's like. 
Well, we're not making more, like that guy said yesterday. So still on his mind. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, I saw it. I was like, I was wondering what the other his his colleagues and, and the fellow journalists were I mean, saying. More people that. get to travel, yeah. I guess. If you like traveling, that's good. Yeah, that's but funny. Though. I don't know. That that was irritating to me because it's yeah. just not the case. But yeah. be that as it may, yeah. um, I what do you think? But why why, me, why though? Why do you think it's should be at one seventy? Is my question. I, it doesn't matter. One seventy, one fifty five, but. Connor's camp has said he doesn't want to fight at 55 unless it's for a title. But so, he also came out and said his goal is the 155 belt. Right. Right. And, so, but I think that it's... If, you can't if, go to 170s and then all of a sudden jump for a belt at 155. Yeah, I get that he's a 155. 155 is fine with me too. 170, yeah. 155, it's whatever. And it's, I don't think it's Gaethje, negotiation stuff. What do you think Gaethje's walk-around weight is? He seems to be not that big. He's probably similar to Connor. I've, yeah. I've stood next to Gaethje when he's out of camp. He's he pretty seems thick. a little shorter, no? He's the same height as Connor. Okay. About 5'9". Yeah. I, I love the fight personally. Well, that's I just, exactly I was it. trying to like, put my you know businessman hat on, but from an entertainment fight, that fight is phenomenal. But I mean, here's the other thing: like if Gaethje wins, Gaethje's the kind of guy that you want to have to market yeah. because he's scrap. He'll in come every, in. Every Gaethje fight's awesome. Connor's like low kicks are susceptible, but the problem is Connor goes southpaw, so Gaethje's low kicks will be a little harder. But, well, but and also still. the his countering off the leg kick. Yeah. Is that's bad news Perfect for Gaethje. Yeah. But that's what I mean. It's a really good matchup for Conor McGregor. Yeah. And Gaethje's going to want to take that matchup. And for sure, it's not everybody that Conor would. for sure would win that fight. Gaethje's a killer. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. But from a matchup standpoint, that's the safest matchup from, yeah, no, I, from I, a I camp it. perspective because for you know sure. what you're going to get. And when I say safest, I don't mean like safest like he's going to win for sure. I just mean that it, you know what to expect when you're going in. Do or die, whatever. Yeah. But yeah. you know exactly how that fight is going to go. Whereas with Masvidal, he's been grappling a lot more. Masvidal is going to be well. a lot bigger than him. Yeah. You know, and if Masvidal beats you, Masvidal could become the biggest star in the sport yeah. potentially, and you don't really want to seed that. But uh, here's the thing: I was also asked last week on a radio show before the fight, obviously, if Con- is this do or die for Conor? Like, if if Conor loses this fight, you know, is that it for him? Mm-hmm. The answer is like it's a resounding no. Like yeah, you put this guy across the table from anybody, and yeah, he would sell that fight. I agree. Put him across from Joe Valentini. I'd watch that fight for sure. Everybody, <laughs> you would. take that fight. I would kill him too. I'm <laughs> <laughs> not laughing, but yeah, no, he would have a. He would be in for a tough night with me, boy. <laughs> he would be in trouble. I would I, add Joe to the short list. Yeah, get Joe out of retirement. Everybody would. Oh, that. In a heartbeat. You wouldn't even have to say... <laughs> just fax the contract over to Costa. It, do it. Just get it over. It's done. I wouldn't even hesitate twice. Get man. Rogan on the phone. Find the seed. Like, it wouldn't even be a hesitate. I wouldn't hesitate once. I, to me, I don't mind it at all. I don't think any fighter past, present, or, or future <laughs> would yeah. turn that down. Yeah. No. Like, even if you're an 0-0 fighter from whatever Oklahoma. Well, that would be the first time you see Connor shoot for a takedown if you were to fight me. Tell you right now, for now, he'll be taking me That's down. That's all you'd be working is sprawl defense he'll the whole time. He'll be trying to take me down. He's not going to stand with me. You think Gaethje can hit hard? Damn. You're in for something else there, Mr. McGregor. But yeah, no, I always would love that fight. Anybody would. Yeah. You know, anybody You're would. You're getting excited just talking Look about it. Look at me. I'm like smiling. I shouldn't, I shouldn't, have, even brought, I shouldn't have even brought it up. Yeah. No, but it's good. What do you think now for Cowboy? Is this Is this finally... You know, the end of the road, being like he no. did what he did. No, he's, no, it's he's not the fought end of the road. his best fights. Cowboy's just going to keep being Cowboy. Like, yeah. Cowboy. But what's the point now? Do you know? Like, the point what, is for him to point? fight because he loves it and make money. That's yeah. all he wants to do, anyways. That's all he wanted to do going into this fight. Even though now you can see his chin maybe not being the best. You know, he's, what, 38? Did you hear him talk about wanting to fight Khabib for a title? or No, mm. he just wants to fight. Yeah, I know, but that's when we start, you know. 
getting injured. That's where we start getting more long-term damage. Well, why bring this up now? Like, Cowboy's been doing this for years and years. Because it's a huge, huge, huge opportunity. You know what I mean? You fight for the... You live for those the big Cowboy moments. Cowboy didn't seem to care know? that much anyways. To go down to, like, a, you know, you just fought the biggest, you know, one of the top four gates of, of you know. And then all of a sudden you're going to go back and fight, you know, on a... You know, on a, on a a smaller prelim or something like that. I don't know. There's just know. so many good fights at 155 and 170 that Cowboy could take. That would be fun. You can headline a fight night card mm. with like Cowboy. Like I now, get it. Cowboy's I'll, I'll earned. Support him. I, I don't. I don't like the way though the people that Cowboy has been treated after this fight. Like I don't like Everybody's the people are saying that he's off. a can and that he, yeah. Like it's it doesn't sit well. But with again, me. you should have performed a little bit better. I mean, sure. you get caught, you get sure. hit. But let's not let's not diminish what this guy's done in the sport. Yeah. Like he he had a bad night for sure, and uh, he could have done obviously better than landing zero. But you get caught strikes. too. Like let, yeah, let's be you honest. get caught. It's a, you get hit. You, you're wearing a four ounce glove. Well, you Cowboys get probably hot, seen everything in the gym, but not shoulder strikes like yeah. that. You don't train shoulder strikes like that with, with that kind of you impact in the gym. Like someone's jaw. But even the head kick, like it, his hand was there. It's just the kick was powerful enough to kind of hit. He was already the on hand. wobbly legs. He was on wobbly legs. So I mean, you got rocked. I mean, so I don't want to sit there and say you can't judge a performance from just getting caught early. Like I mean, when you look at him, when he uh, Connor, when he fought Aldo, you can't base Aldo on that thirteen yeah, seconds. Not washed you know? after that. Yeah. No. So I mean, I get it. But it does concern me now, like you said, he's never been able to to dominate well in that top five. And I think at his age, the amount of shots he's taken, the questioning about his chin, I mean, it wouldn't be crazy for him to say, all right, you know, my ranch is doing good. I can build a stable of fighters. There's, there's just always has to be an exit. That's just not him, though. That's just mm-hmm. not him. Like he, he, the idea of retiring to him isn't even a, a, a thought yeah. right now. Yeah. So I let the guy fight. I mean, I, listen, I. Health obviously so comes that, well, like health the comes BJ first. Penn situation. He loves fighting. Yeah. He's had problems. You know, like, a, this guy's got a, and Cowboy's got a kid. You know, yeah. I mean, B, BJ has and he's daughters 38, also. Though I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he's uh, yeah. a bit younger than I am. He's turning 38 this year. Yeah, but yeah, yeah regardless Couple of that, couple more years for sure. Anyways, I guess. Yeah, he wants to keep going, and I, I think that we have to, I guess, respect that. I mean, and everybody can sit here and say he shouldn't be fighting anymore. He's going to get brain damage, but uh, at the end of the day, like it's not on the public to make that decision. Like if Dana White wants to sit him down and say, listen, you've had a good run. You've, you're just fighting too much. Let's take a step back. Maybe have one more fight and call it a day. That's up to the, pr- the promotion. But yeah. he yeah. seems satisfied to want to just keep going. Yeah. Then all the best to you. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's his choice, right? Yeah, yeah. Ultimately. Now, where he goes from here, I think is pretty clear. Main events Fun on fights. a fight nights against whoever, against somebody that's that in that five to 10 range. Yeah. But what he's still ranked number five at lightweight, which I think is uh, yeah. awful. Like, you can't – he's not a top five lightweight no, right now. No. The lightweight division is so strong, and it's not – and I don't know. The rankings are all over the place. They've got Connor ranked at welterweight now at number 14. Like, all all over. It. It's just all over. All over. It's such a flawed system that I, I despise talking about, but whatever. Yeah, there you go. It just – it's – it makes no it, – it sucks that it has – I've got to give props to Rafael Dos Anjos, by the way, because he's fighting unranked Michael Chiesa. RDA is ranked fifth in the division. Nobody that's ranked ever wants to fight unranked fighters, let alone a top five guy fighting yeah. a guy that should be ranked in Michael Chiesa. And Chiesa's dangerous. Yeah, too. Chiesa's a tough fight. Yeah. And RDA did an interview this week, I think it was on MMA Junkie. I, I want to credit the right people. I'm almost certain it was them, where he said, uh, yeah, the rankings, they haven't been around forever. So, you know, back in the day, we just used to have to fight people. We used to have to fight whoever we were messed up against. So if they want me to they fight this it. guy, then I'm going to do it. It's like, 
Yes, that's a great mindset, but nobody else has it. No everybody else, else is picky way. and choosy because they, their ranking is their bread and butter right now. That's yeah. what's going to keep them in title contention. So Which nobody I wants understand to as well, man. You have to understand yeah, that as well. It's, the system because it's is broken. being valued. It is. But as a fighter, if you're ranked number four, I'd, I'd be in the same Usman same could way. have been the champ two years like earlier, probably, if not for the rankings, honestly. Like because the nobody who was ranked would fight the guy. He he was he told me he sincerely thought about retiring because he couldn't get fights that were going to get him into title contention because Jeez. nobody who was ranked would accept the fight because they knew that he was better than them. Yeah. I think the similar situation would be Leon Edwards too, right? Leon had a harder time trying to climb because yeah. no one really wanted to fight him that was in the top five, right? Mm-hmm. He's dangerous. He's good. You know, he's a risk. But now he has his chance. Yeah, so. and he's joining us later on in the program. Cheap plug. Hey. Um, Macy Barber, that was uh, unexpected. Yeah. I thought Montefiore did well, though. I mean, Fast regardless of it. I, I hate, like, okay. I mean, yes, her knee went and that created, but I thought even without, like, just Montefiore looked great. She looked great. She and looked her- sharp. She looked striking, looked phenomenal. Like, I thought, like, you know, I mean, again, you're fighting someone with an injured knee, but she was sharp on her punches. She was snappy. She cut her. Like, and we're seeing some real. She did good. She like, did really well. Macy Barber wants to be the champion, and I get that, but we're seeing some real maturity issues here and some too red flags. M- too much pressure on that with her. But youngest just, champion. I got to yeah. be the youngest. Here you go, your future women's champion. Like, they're, they're just, everything's around her being mm-hmm. a champion. I think it's a lot of pressure for a young girl and everything. And even now, her father's her, her father came out yeah. to kind of just like diminishing the win. Like, as but again, it was just I, I don't ACL. mind because it's like it's helping his daughter keep her mind sharp. Like, if you're Conor McGregor, he's successful because he has that. If he loses, oh, it's okay, I lost. He puts it behind him. He yeah. thinks and forward. Barber's kind of the same the way. Dad. Barber's that's what he's doing. So I wouldn't look at it being like, oh my God, he's discrediting what Montefiore did. He's protecting his daughter, keeping her. Her belief high in herself, keeping the, the morale off after a loss as high as possible to keep his daughter motivated. So I don't think the father should be getting... I'll tell you the, the one thing I didn't like, though. Her grabbing the mic at the end of the fight before Roxy Yes, I hated that. Hated that. Like, it's it's just a respect thing, and yeah. she knows that Montefiore's nice, and Montefiore's yeah, not going to yeah. make a big deal out of it, but... That's just not how it's done. She said nice words about Montefiore, sure. but do not take my spot to talk. Yeah, don't take my spot I to would talk. Have been and also, if the broadcast wants to have you on, they'll talk to you, but like don't force yourself on yeah like it, it just showed some real immaturity in that moment i thought and yeah. i i think that macy barber is a very good fighter and that she will bounce back from this and you know torn acls this early in your career you can recover from a lot faster from what i understand yeah, um probably so i think that we'll probably see her back sometime in the, whatever the by probably the end of the year. year yeah probably by the end of the year I, I think she'll fight again but regardless of that like i just thought that was a really bad look and um you know she was undefeated she lost let your opponent have their moment Roxy's been in the game forever. Like, mm-hmm. just show her the respect that she's she deserves here. Yeah, I agree. I mean, but uh, I get where she is. I mean, she's been put on this hype train from everyone, from the UFC to her family to her teammate. So now she was derailed off of that. I'm going to be the youngest champ. In her mind, and everyone around her believes she would be the youngest champ. So, I mean, it's got to be hard on her. She thinks she's a lot bigger than she probably is right now, and that's probably why she did it. But uh, she's young. She's young. Like you said, maturity issues. Um, will she be a champ? We'll, we'll see. She looks great. A lot of good promise. But I think to sit here and every other word talking about her, is about being the next champ, is it's stressful on her. Yeah. I, but I think, that though, that she does have that quality where she likes to look ahead. And she's and that can work for some to. people. Yeah, you need to, though. And, I think. Yeah, I think you probably have that same mentality also. Absolutely. It's like looking at what's, next, what's after yeah. this current opponent, just like thinking down the line. I think a lot of the great champions have that. I actually spoke to her about that at Media Day. I said, like, do you feel like that, tr- that trait where you're constantly looking at the big picture 
is something that the great champs have because they're able to focus beyond just the fight in front of them. And she said, yeah. Yeah. But you, you do need it. Yeah. Obviously, it didn't go her way. Um, and I think that she will inevitably bounce back. But uh, again, I just thought that grabbing the mic was not a good look. Yeah. No, I didn't like that. Especially me being, you know, that the Joe Rogan in right. the ring. Yeah. You wouldn't like that. The if first thing someone that. told me, they're like, Joe, don't let the fighters take the mic. Because mm-hmm. a yeah. lot of fighters want to grab the mic off you and start talking. Yeah. They're hyped and, up. They have yeah. adrenaline. And you're like, you fight that. They're like, Joe, you don't give that mic up, man. Mm-hmm. You hold that. Don't let him take it. And maybe if it's the main event and Rico wants to take it, which he does. Rico likes to get in these little moods where he talks and addresses the crowd. But that's the main event, and is Rico or Botter, you do it. But anyone else, you, you clinch yeah, that you hand. You hang on to that you, thing. Because yep. then you lose credit, man. That's your street cred as a commentator. Do not let them take your mic. And uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov's dad, uh, I don't know if you saw these comments, uh, commented to the Russian media. He wants to do a boxing crossover. Yeah, after, after the Ferguson fight, he says the next fight we want to do is a, a boxing crossover with Floyd, but we have one caveat for this. We want it to be 11 rounds of boxing, and if Khabib is able to stand 11 rounds with him, the 12th round will be MMA. Yeah, that's fair. We're living in fantasy land it here. Won't la- Great. It won't go past two rounds, but... Yeah, uh, but I mean, it's it's fantasy land. But what was... Uh, Floyd came out with two posters, him against McGregor, yeah. him and Khabib. Oh, I, you don't know my Floyd story, do you? No. Okay, so I, after... I sh- I've got to share this. It's a fantastic hey. story. Oh, yeah. So after the Connor fight, I go with my camera. We go to... We, he parked at the Park MGM, uh, which is right across from T-Mobile Arena. And we walked over there, and we were waiting for our car. And I'm walking, and I see walking next to me, there's like four guys. And I'm like, ah, that's Floyd Mayweather. He was with the money team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was walking right next cool. to me. So I turn around. I go, hey, Floyd, can I interview you for Canadian TV? And he goes, no. And I oh. go, okay, I'm just wondering what you thought about the McGregor fight. He goes, I didn't watch the fight. I was at a comedy show. Yeah, that's funny. And I go, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought you were going to ask him to ride the Bentley that he probably just no, it was got. No, it, it was a, a, a Rolls-Royce okay. SUV. You were close, huh. though. Nice. Rolls-Royce nice. SUV. So uh, he gets in the Rolls-Royce SUV with... Two of the money team he didn't members try to jump in and drives point, away, yeah. but two of the other money team members stuck behind were waiting for their car. So I said to them, "I go, was he really at? Like, he didn't wasn't that the? He goes, they go, I go, he was really at the comedy show. They go, yeah, we were just at the comedy show. He goes, Floyd wouldn't go to his fight. He goes, he doesn't want to make him look yeah, bigger, yeah, look, fair. look bigger. He, he goes, probably watched. Floyd it, still he didn't want to say Floyd, it. It's all about business. He's like he, they're like he doesn't. He he would never give that kind of respect to yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay, well, fair enough. All right. But, uh, yeah, I just thought that it was weird that right across the road from the McGregor, after yeah. the McGregor fight, he was like he was right there. It was very surreal. There's just been so much talk about boxers jumping a bit, you know, between the, the UFC again. I heard even um, I heard they're close Pacquiao versus uh, Conor McGregor. I heard I that a rumor. And, but to me, that would be worse than fighting Mayweather again because Pacquiao is a southpaw killer. Mm-hmm. Pacquiao doesn't play around. I've never seen Pacquiao play. I think that would be a big mistake. Well, That's I put, a different breed. I put Dana on the spot because, as you know, he made some sort of deal with May, with Mayweather at when they were at the basketball game. It's some Zufa boxing thing or something, well, right? What I said to him was, like, Connor earlier in the week said we have a deal with Pacquiao. Said, and then he kind of, like, backtracked on that. So I said to Dana, like, is it possible we see Pacquiao versus Mayweather 2 in Zufa boxing? Like, am I connecting the dots here properly? I got my detective hat on. Yeah. And he didn't. He didn't like poo poo the idea. He said like you don't think it's for McGregor. He goes, I think that we, no, I don't think so. He goes, I think we could add a lot of value to that fight. To May, he goes, I think mm. we could add a lot of value to Mayweather versus. There's a lot Pacquiao of money too. though to put in for that fight. Yeah, but I mean, if you're going to launch Zufa boxing, what bigger way what to bigger? do it than a rematch of Mayweather versus Pacquiao, yeah. where there's I think way more intrigue now. I mean, Pacquiao just put away Keith Thurman. You know, the last guy Mayweather boxed was Connor, yeah. but and before that it was Andre Berto. What like three four years ago? So. You have a bit of a rusty 
Mayweather putting his undefeated record on the line against the Pacquiao yeah. that's overperforming right now. Do right you now, think delivering. we will see Floyd Mayweather fight in 2020? I think so. I don't know in what capacity or against but two. But we will see him fight? I think so. He needs I don't know money, what you think. Be. People keep saying that he's in money trouble or... Uh, I mean, judging by the Rolls-Royce SUV and the, the entourage, fine. I'm thinking he's, he's probably okay. doing okay. Yeah, maybe <laughs> to him, knows? though. You know, he's yeah. downsizing his rides. I yeah, don't know. we've seen his garage. I'm sure he could sell those cars for a decent amount of money. So he wasn't on a helicopter on the top of the building, no. see? No, nope. There's, there's yep. more levels. He's downgraded there's, the cars. There's levels to it. But he lives in Vegas, so he's yeah. not going far. There's levels to it. But still, to his house, to the top yeah, of exactly. the MGM and a nice little helicopter. Yeah, that's a real ballin'. Yeah, it's a good look. Yeah. And what else do we uh, do we have to discuss today? Uh, we've got that big card in uh, Raleigh this weekend with uh, Curtis Blades versus Junior Dos Santos. We can talk about that a little bit uh, as well. And uh, Chiesa versus Rafael Dos Anjos, another uh, solid fight in the co-main event. Anything else you want to talk about in terms of UFC 246 before we go to our first guest? Um, well, my pick was... Pettis, know, wasn't Pettis, it? yeah. And mine was Cowboys. We both, yeah, we both lost we're there. Both, but, we're, uh, too, we're too big of WEC fans. We couldn't see, uh, see beyond the WEC. Yeah, but I thought, uh, yeah, I was surprised. Fajaja looked Fajaja good, Fajaja looked really good. He looks so slow and stiff on his striking. He kind of like, always has, too. But I was like, he just gets it done. I thought Pettis was going to kill him. But yeah. six win fights in a row. like yeah. he's, Fajaja he's finds a, streak, a way to get man. it done, man. That's the thing about him. And, when you're, and I think I said this to you when you made the pick. I go, picking against... Saif Saoud and that and that team, yeah, it's, it's a, not a good idea. Yeah, I thought Maurice like Fortis is on a roll. <laughs> Maurice Green was doing good for a bit. Yeah, well, he hung on during that submission. It looked tight. Yeah. And he, he he trucked his way through that. So good for him. Yeah. But you know, inevitably, sometimes you get locked up with a choke by Alexi Olenek, and you're just you're going out. What did you think of the Holly Holm? Did it deserve the booze it was getting? Or I went to the bathroom. I I, I knew that it was not going to be a good co-main event. Yeah. I had no interest in watching a rematch of that fight. I, no disrespect to Holly Holm or, or Raquel Pennington, but you, they originally had Pettis versus Fajeja as the co-main. They should have just ride, rolled with that. Yeah. Have Holm versus Pennington open up the card. If it doesn't do well, at least you got some other fights afterwards that can maybe redeem the card a yeah. little bit. But, yeah, I didn't love that. But, you know what, once Connor started making his way to the cage or Cowboy started making his way to the cage, you, you felt like a switch go off and people yeah. were, were hyped. Well, I also was impressed with uh, Drew Dober. <laughs> Drew Dober looked hard like a to be. beast. Yeah, hard not He looked to be. like a beast, man. I thought he did good against Haskprot there. Like, he was one of the upcoming guys we're all watching for. Tri-star guy, young. Almost every young fighter didn't deliver. Like, yeah. Barber lost, Hackprast lost, uh, Ode Osborne Ode lost. Ode Osborne was an interesting yeah. guy, too, eh? With a lot of hype. Yeah, Sadiq Yusuf got it done, though. This guy's continues to be on a roll. He's going to just keep moving up the rankings. Yeah, he beat Feely, a friend yeah. of mine, too. Yeah, it was a good fight. Sadiq Yusuf looks like the real deal. Oh, yeah. He's good. And tough, he's also trying strong. to do good things for his family in Nigeria. I, I, yeah. I, I cheer for that kid for that reason. I, yeah. You know, usually you don't, like, I, I got to stay, obviously, as impartial as possible. But um, when he won that fight, I was cheering for him to get the bonus because I knew yeah, that yeah. it would make a big difference to his family. Yeah, I mean, I think just think the whole, that whole Nigerian crew. Like, I mean, they're I just know. good people, you know? I think, like, I mean, you, you can't say anything really bad about Adesanya, really, you know? Yeah. You see even Sadiq Yusuf, Kamaru Usman. Like, mm-hmm. They might have a strong, you know, outgoing personality, but I think deep inside they're all genuinely nice guys. Yeah. I think know? of the Nigerian fighters, only one of them has a loss of the ones that yeah, are Yeah, even Nagano, the nicest guy. Yeah. He's Cameroon, though. I group it all together, but you know, you group everybody from Africa. Together. <laughs> from Africa goes in together. So is uh, Azaitar from Morocco <laughs> part of go. that same uh, no, box? No, no, not North Africa. No, not North, not North okay. Africa. Just for clarification. Yeah, just in there. But I mean, just just nice people, man. Very nice mm-hmm. people. Yeah, I, I was talking about Usman actually, and uh, the conspiracy theory theorists were out 
in, yeah. the, in droves saying that his manager was the one oh, who hacked his account to get yeah, him attention. That's right. There's been a lot of who knows, who knows. But there was some It's not a who knows, work. Joe. It's not a who knows. <laughs> if you look at the hack, it has every signature of the Chuckling Squad, which is like a, a well-known hacking group. Okay. Go look up any Chuckling Squad hack. Okay. And it had everything. It had the hashtags. It had images. But maybe but everybody wants to. Yeah, they yeah exactly. Maybe, they maybe he was Don't following watch. the lead of Chuckling. But that's know. exactly what the conspiracy yeah. theorists say. You, yeah. can't, you can't win an argument with a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. Because if they say, if I say I'm in the studio right now with Joe Valtellini, they'll be like, okay, we'll prove it. It's like, okay, well, I have a picture of us, yeah. and it's timestamped. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but how do you know you didn't change the camera to make it time stamped yeah, that that's time. That's what Well, I don't are. know. I, I don't know how I didn't do that, but I just know for a fact that I didn't. So, so let's stop like, let's stop so with this. So you me, you don't like conspiracies. I mean, I'm getting I'm Listen, I, I have no problem with conspiracy theories, but if you're not going to take evidence into account that you're incorrect and like, how, like, here's the thing about a theory. If you have a theory about something and mm. someone has evidence to refute that theory, your theory is, is, not like valid anymore. It's an invalid theory. Mm-hmm. Like if I had a theory that the sky is green and someone's like, well, Aaron, I'm going to take you outside here. Let's look up outside. And they say, well, the sky is clearly blue. And I say, well, I'm colorblind. How am I supposed to know it's not blue? And, and they say, well, we're going to do a survey of 100 people and ask them what color it is. And then 100 of them say it's blue. I can still say, well, I, I, that's not that's what I see. see. Yeah. Like, that's not how a conspiracy theory mm-hmm. should work. A conspiracy theory, like you have to have some sort of evidence that would suggest that it's a conspiracy theory. Yeah. Because if there's overwhelming evidence against it, it's not your theory's refuted. It's not a theory anymore. So when I have all these people being like, you're a sheep for saying that it wasn't his manager, I'm like, go and look at the things that were posted. It has every signature of this, of this group. <laughs> and he's like, well, how do you know that he didn't research the group to make it look to like it was it done by like that group? And, and he posted his banking information because to try, try to get us off the scent. It's like, I don't know that, but it's it's so far-fetched that, like, I, I don't know. It, it just drives me crazy. So you're telling me Donald Cerrone didn't throw the fight? Yeah, exactly. That's come on. He well, threw well, the fight on. for here's, sure. He here's threw a the good. Fight. Here's come a good on, one. Aaron, he threw here's, the fight. here's a good one. Someone on Twitter said to me, "You saying that it's not uh, his manager is the same thing as saying that the fight was thrown." I'm like, "No, it's not." Oh. You're saying someone that me refuting skin, the conspiracy theory is the same as someone purporting a conspiracy theory. Yeah. You don't know what you're I'm talking you. about. Yeah. I feel you. And in terms but of someone and got here's, to you, though, I like here's it. the number one rule of, of fixing a fight. If you're going to fix a fight, you don't make it look fixed. <laughs> here's here's rule A. If you're going to if you you're going to fix a fight, if someone comes to you and says, "Here's 10 million dollars, I want you to throw the fight." You're not going to get beaten up in the first 8 seconds of a fight or first 40 seconds of the You'd fight. You'd be slower. Yeah. Maybe a submission, a choke would make it a little exactly. nicer. Exactly. You 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 can figure out a much better way without breaking your orbital bone and nose yeah, to head, lose getting the head fight. Kicked in the face yeah, exactly. Like, hey, I did the job, buddy. Shot, Just like yeah. you asked, I got my yeah. orbital bone fractured and I got kicked yeah. in the head. Yeah. Man, that's what conspiracies are. How about you pull guard and just stop defending yourself a little bit? Right. Or, the same know. people think the world is flat, so we're all right. Yeah, well, uh, Justin Ledette, who fought on the card, is one of those people. But <laughs> how about we look at some aerial photos? How do we know those photos aren't doctored? Yeah. We don't. Well, but just NASA's like, funded Area by... Area 54, who yeah, knows? Yeah. They right. put that flag that's, that's moving, it's <laughs> stuck, it's starched or whatever, who knows? Here we go. Conspiracy. I'm getting theories. furious already, Joe. I, I think we need to go to our interview because otherwise I'm going to snap. <laughs> you're sweating now. You have to take off your jacket. I'm going to snap. And since you're here, I've got to go outside and fight some to random fight guy because I'm not going right. to fight you. I'll we tell can, you that much. We can trash the studio. That's pretty, pretty <laughs> Just fun. Just start ripping microphones off. We can start throwing things around. It'll be fun. But that's, things, that's my they, message to conspiracy theorists. They actually have smash rooms. Did you know that? There's rooms I mean, you can go to where you they just set things up. You get a sledgehammer, hammers, different tools, and you just smash the room. 
I so should tweet out there's overwhelming evidence that it was not his manager that hacked him, and yeah. then read the responses and then go to the and smash room. And then go room. to the smash room. There yeah. you go. That would be a good, go. great Saturday night. Perfect. Or at least Friday night because there's fights every Saturday night from now until eternity. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Super Bowl week next weekend actually is the, the only week off, I think, until like the beginning of then, April. Until yeah. maybe the Khabib fight. We don't well, even know what they're going to schedule. We some time off now, so That's true. Let's, let's keep it rolling. Yeah, let's, let's enjoy. It's, it's to the point now, though. I'm sure you can see it. If there's no fights, I kind of like, what the heck, man? I, I want to yeah. follow something but on Saturday. Here's the upside and downside of the Connor fight is like you had like three weeks to get hungry for that Connor fight, yeah. and it happened. It's a massive and event. And then, unfortunately, like now we've got Blades versus Dos Santos in like three days, and like there's nobody's talking about yeah, it yeah, yeah. because yeah. Connor took all the wind out of the sails. But at the same time, like that's that's a good card. Yeah. I'm excited for that. Yeah, me too. Um, anyhow, why don't we go to our first guest? He uh, just penned his uh, autobiography with uh, the one and only Ant Evans, who uh, used to work at the UFC, and uh, was kind enough to join us here on the TSN MMA show. He has uh, strong roots here in the city of Toronto, and we discussed that and more here on the TSN MMA show. It's the Count. Michael Bisping. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to introduce this week's guest. It's Quitters Never Win My Life in the UFC, the autobiography of Michael Bisping, co-written by Ant Evans. Uh, Michael, joining us right now from Raleigh, North Carolina. Now, we have you on video, and I promise I'm going to resist all temptation to ask you to take your eye out. (laughs) Well, if you ask me to take my eye out, I would deny, because uh, (laughs) whilst, unfortunately, my eye can be removed right now. I am not a circus freak. I'm not here to entertain you for the wrong reasons. So, uh, yeah, thank you, Aaron, for pointing that out, but it's a no. Since that video got posted, it has to be at least a 1,000 rejections, I would imagine. Am I, am I low on that number? Uh, do you know what? Actually, no, but Helwani asked me to do it on Monday, uh, so it seems to be a new trend. You know, If you give me a couple of tequilas... <laughs> then I'll do it. But uh, the cold light of day in North Carolina, I'm trying to get ready for the big fights this weekend. Yeah, I ain't pulling any eyes out anytime soon. <laughs> well, there's always next time. We'll get some tequila flowing. Uh, thanks again for doing this. It's, uh, your autobiography just came out in the U.S. It did really well in the U.K. Any early signs on how it's doing so far in the U.S.? Yeah, that's right. In the U.K., fortunately, it was a Sunday Times bestseller. Uh, and by all accounts, it's uh, trending the same direction so far. I mean, it's early days. It only went on sale on Tuesday. But uh, from what the publishers are telling me, hopefully we have another bestseller on our hands in the States. I certainly hope so. You know, the book itself, um, you know, unlike a lot of books, you know, I, I, I came open. You know, I mean, I spoke about the highs and the lows. And in a career like mine, there is many, many lows, unfortunately. And you got to be honest, you know, there's no point doing a book and sugarcoating everything and lying to the reader. So, you know, I was very open about my emotions and the emotional roller coaster that a career like mine is. Well, one thing you didn't show during your career uh, was vulnerability. You were always very, very confident in your approach. But after UFC 100, you mentioned in the book that that took a real toll on you and on your self-confidence. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, you know, I mean, I got knocked out pretty badly. I think I, memory-wise, I lost like a couple of months of my life pretty much. I, uh, so, you know, I mean, that was hard to deal with. And then on top of that, I mean, listen, at the time, and still to this day, I'm a loudmouth idiot. You know, I always have too much to say. Uh, so a lot of people, certainly in America, they reveled in me getting knocked out. And, you know, uh, that highlight, still to this day, I still see it frequently. Anytime anyone wants to talk a bit of smack online, what do they do? They just add that gif of me getting knocked out. Now, of course, now I'll laugh about it. But at the time, as a fighter, as somebody that was close to fighting for the belt, it was hard to deal with, you know. But uh, I'm not going to talk about that in my day-to-day life. But if you read the book, 
as I say, I do go into detail. Well, I want to talk to you about the rematch with Hendo because a lot of people pointed to it being an easy fight. But um, from what I understand, there were a lot of options uh, that were just not available to you, and he happened to be the best one. The question I have for you about that fight, though, is when you are beaten in that sort of fashion, like at UFC 100, you have a big mental hurdle to get over when you're preparing for that fight. Is, is that the case with, uh, with the rematch with Hendo? Yeah, absolutely. So I just want to point out to any detractors, it was actually the, the UFC. They called me up. We had the fight against Rockhold on the Saturday. I won the belt. And on the Monday morning, I was still nursing my hangover from Saturday night, and Dana called and offered me a rematch with Henderson. Obviously, he'd uh, knocked out Hector Lombard on the same card, so, you know, he had a big win himself. And, yeah, there was history there. He knocked me out in 2009 at UFC 100. And I talk about this in the book, you know, I mean... I was confident going into that fight. Of course I was, you know, but when you speak to the media, you speak to TV channels, whatever it is, you know, you can, uh, you can put a brave front on it. But when you're alone with your own thoughts and your own emotions, you can't lie to yourself. And that fight, the rematch, that happened at 6 o'clock in the morning. So I was trying to take a nap that day. And all I kept thinking of was, wow, last time I stepped into an octagon with this man, I got knocked unconscious and embarrassed before the world. So, of course, that, you know, that brought its own anxiety, some nerves, things like that. But uh, fortunately, I got the win. How do you get over that hurdle? What was, was there a singular moment in that fight, when you, either when you're walking to the cage or you, you taste that first big punch that he hit you with in the first round? When does that start to subside? No, nah, it was... So, I was kind of being... Uh, I'm trying to not swear on your TV show. I was, trying to, <laughs> I was kind of being a jerk, shall we say, with some of my cornermen. You know, just simply because of the nerves, you know, and, and I was kind of, uh, you know, like snapping at people, just kind of being, you know, it's nothing they haven't seen before, obviously pre-fight nerves. And I was in the dressing room and I was kind of stretching and then I just turned around and I started laughing my head off. And my coaches were like, what are you laughing at? And I'm like, guys, guys, I know I've been, I've been kind of a dick for the last couple of hours and I'm sorry, I apologise. I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen? I'm going to lose a fight. Yeah, I've lost fights before, and no doubt I might lose them again. That is the worst that's going to happen. I'm not going to die or anything like that. I've been punched in the face before. Once I came to terms with that realization, I was a completely new person. I smiled, I apologized, gave them all the hug, and went out there and had a good fight. More recently, you had some beef with Jorge Masvidal, and this was late in your career. Now, the story that I love is that Masvidal essentially said that the hatchet was buried when you walked up to him in the hall and just said, hey, good luck, Jorge, before his fight. Did you expect that that's all it would take with Jorge Masvidal, that that's how real of a guy he was? Yeah, well, to be honest, I mean, I never had a problem with the guy. He just had a problem with me due to, uh, you know, the rivalry between myself and Yoel Romero. Uh, but, uh, you know, he was trying to get at me in hotels and things like that. And listen, it takes two to tango, so I was certainly meeting his anger as well, so I was saying a few things. But... Um, yeah, he was supposed to fight Darren Till in London. And I was walking to the workout rooms. It was the night before the weigh-ins. And I had, a fr I had a few friends with me. There was like four of us. And it was kind of dark. And they're all kind of big. It was winter, so we all had big winter coats on. And I guess we, kind of, we, we could have looked rather intimidating. Four dudes walking down a corridor with big coats on. And then this guy in front of us kind of just steps to the side to let us all pass. And I had no idea it was Masvidal. And as I got closer, because as you probably know, I don't see too well these days, but as I got closer to Masvidal, I, I noticed it was him. And, 
you know, we went back and forth. We had a bit of beef. He was sending me all kinds of stupid messages and whatnot. But I'm not going to do that. Listen, you know, the guy had a big fight the next day. I'm not going to take this opportunity to to mess with him, to uh, start trouble or, any, or start a fight or anything like that. The guy's got a big fight tomorrow. So I saw him. I said, hey, I put my hand out. Good luck tomorrow, George. All the best. And then, and then uh, to me, it was nothing. To me, it was the most natural, you know, uh, encounter ever it's just just you know how i live my life but for him he did a story he said listen the fact that he did that the fact that he didn't mess with me the night before a fight after the history that we had he really respected it and anyway when i saw him next at a ufc event i went over we shook hands we laughed about it we gave him a hug and we actually went out that night and uh we had a few tequilas that night we did and we shared a taxi together to the airport the next morning and he told me some stories in that taxi this man is the real deal. Let me tell you, he's authentic. Let me tell you. You told one of those recently. I guess you guys went to a club or he went to a club and, uh, I mean, there were some bodies at the end of the night? Yeah, that's right. There might have been a few people let on the floor. Nothing to do with me, man. <laughs> Nothing to do with me. So you've had a lot of feuds during your uh, mixed martial arts career. Now that you're doing commentary and you're at the desk, are there any hatches that are still to be buried? Are there still some people that uh, would give you the stink eye if they saw you in person? I don't think so. I mean... Yes, yeah, certainly, when I was fighting, when I was active, I kind of think, feel like it's my job. You know, if somebody else is in my division, then, of course, I'm going to have an issue with you, certainly, if I'm going to fight you, if I was the champion or he was the champion and I was trying to fight him. But now, you know, I, yeah, I don't think so. I'm trying to think, who do I have an issue with? I hope nobody. There's no one I have a real issue with. I mean, of course, like anybody, like any human being, there's people I care for, there's people I don't care for. And I gotta say, there's quite a few people on the UFC roster that I don't care for. But there's also a lot that I love, that I'm a huge fan of, and that's just the beauty of being a human. Um, I keep those thoughts to myself, I try and be professional, but uh, yeah, I don't think I have any long-standing beef with anybody. I don't know, you tell me, Aaron, who do you think? Uh, Jorge Rivera is a coach now. Yoel Romero. Oh, Luke come Rockwell. on. Hey, hey, hey. I got the last laugh with Jorge Rivera. <laughs> There's no beef over here, my friend. I left him in a pile of his own piss and blood, so I'm a happy man. <laughs> you talked about your eyes. One last question about your eyes. How long did you fight with a glass eye without the commissions noticing? Because uh, that seems like a pretty big deal. Yeah, I never actually fought with a glass eye once. So this is a, 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 a miscalculation by mixed martial arts media. They got that wrong. I never actually said that. I got this eyepiece uh, 2018. I got this eyepiece in 2018. And the reason it came out was because I have a podcast. Believe you me. Check it out, everybody, please. People love it. Uh, and my co-host came onto our podcast one day wearing a pair of shades. And I'm like, what the hell? I said, who, who do you think you are? And he said, hold on, Michael, I remember you at press conferences, like when I fought George St. Pierre, you had sunglasses on. And I said, yeah, and I removed my eyepiece then. I said, here's why I used to wear sunglasses, because my eye was a mess and I was self-conscious about it. And also I didn't want doctors prying into it too much because I was only just, you know, I was only passing the medical requirements by the skin of my teeth. And, and I was always nervous every time that I had my eyes checked. I was always nervous. Now, to, to, to pass the eye test, you have to have 2,200 vision, which is clinically blind. And some days I'd pass that, and some days I, I wouldn't. Anyway, so I never fought with the glass eye in. But after I retired and after I'm trying to pursue, you know, a career in TV and film, obviously being on TV looking like, you know, 
a cross-eyed Quasimodo isn't the look that people are going for. So I went out, I got myself a prosthetic, and uh, yeah, there you go. Now the only problem is I've got to deal with idiots like yourself asking <laughs> me to take it out every five minutes. Hey, I said I was going to stop myself from asking you to take it out. <laughs> so I'm only half an idiot. Uh, George St. Yeah, Pierre. I'm, I'm kidding, buddy, I'm kidding. <laughs> George St. Pierre is the name you just mentioned. Apparently you and George, uh, I think you lay this out in the book, had a bit of history when you were on The Ultimate Fighter. Something happened uh, when you were, I guess, rolling with him prior to the finale of The Ultimate Fighter season that you inevitably won. Can you walk me through that? Yeah, so I actually just had a knee replacement, total knee replacement, one of the most miserable experiences of my life. And the knee pro problem started uh, in 2006. I was in Las Vegas. I was getting ready for the Ultimate Fighter finale. And I trained with George St. Pierre and Sam Stout. Great guys. You know, and that's where I first met George. And we were just wrestling at the old uh, the old UFC gym headquarters on Sahara Avenue. And uh, we wrestled and my knee hit the floor. And it was a few days before my fight. I tore, completely tore my posterior cruciate ligament. And anyway, that was the start of the knee problems. From there, it was just one thing after the other. But it all started with Canada's favorite <laughs> guy. You know what I mean? Uh, George said, Pierre, but, you know, hey, couldn't, couldn't have... He's the perfect guy. George is the man. He took my belt. He took my knee. I mean, what more can this man take from me? And apparently before the fight, you had an issue with your ribs that I guess might have stopped you from performing at 100% against George St. Pierre. Uh, but mm -hmm. we talked about mental hurdles earlier. There was a big mental hurdle you had to overcome before that fight. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give, have we got a minute or two? Can I quickly tell you the story? Sure, I got nowhere to be. All right. So, uh, so I had the best camp of my life. I'm knocking out everybody in sparring. I know that sounds like a humble brag, but it's true. And I'm really confident coming into this fight. It's the last day. We're flying off to New York the next morning. This guy tries to take me down in sparring like his life depended on it. In the end, he picks me up in the air. He slams me down. And his shoulder weight comes right into my ribs. I knew right then and there because I heard like the, 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 the cracking sound. I tore the cartilage or broken a rib. Doctor confirmed. I tore all the cartilage. A couple of days later, I couldn't move. I was just in so much pain and so much agony. So the plan we came up with, this doctor friend of mine said, listen, lidocaine, you can inject yourself with lidocaine and it will make it completely numb, right? Uh, and it's not a banned substance. I checked with USADA, lidocaine isn't a banned substance. But they said, if you go to the commission and say you're gonna use lidocaine on your ribs, the commission are gonna know that you're injured and therefore they may pull you from the fire. So the doctor said, I can give you a needle with lidocaine in it. When you get to Madison Square Garden, go to the bathroom, right? Because it does it wears off pretty fast. Go to the bathroom, FaceTime me, and he'll tell me how to do the injection. He said, but you've got to be careful because where you're going to inject yourself, if you go in a little bit too far, you can puncture your lungs and therefore die, right? <laughs> so this is, I'm like, whoa, hold on a minute. So I go to Madison Square Garden. I'm due to be in the octagon in about an hour. Right? My ribs are killing. I've got commission members everywhere watching me like a hog. And I'm thinking, am I really going to go? into the restroom, pull out a needle, FaceTime a doctor and inject myself when I might potentially puncture a lung. So I thought, you know what, screw it. I went out there, me and George had a good fight. He got me on the night. But afterwards, everyone was like, oh, you weren't moving too well. I'm like, yeah, no shit, buddy. I couldn't move. I had pretty much broken ribs. Hey, but listen, George beat me fair and square. And uh, he's a hell of a guy, hell of a fighter. I'm not trying to diminish his win, by the way. And if the commission called that fight off, you'd be a couple million dollars poorer, I'd imagine. Yeah, you know, maybe, maybe. <laughs>
<laughs> well, Michael, it's uh, quitters never win. My wife, my life in the UFC, who you dedicated to your wife, Rebecca, um, who's been with you all all the way. Yep. Your son is starting his wrestling career. So uh, congratulations on all your success, on a fantastic career, and on a fantastic book, which is available now at Amazon or wherever books are sold. Uh, thank you for this, my friend. My pleasure, Aaron. I really appreciate it. Always good talking to you. Keep up the good work. That was the Count Michael Bisping joining us on the TSN MMA show. Uh, best of luck to him on the sales of his book. And uh, you can pick that up now at Amazon or wherever books are sold. If your bookstore doesn't have it, yeah, they can order it for you. Yeah, be interested to hear some of his stories. He was a wild man, you know? Yeah, lots of stories that, that yeah. were uh, uncovered in this book. And uh, as you know, Michael's uh, not afraid to be uh, yeah, that's 100% why I honest think I would and transparent. Like it, yeah, know? for sure. I think it'd be a, a, great, uh, a great read. I might pick it up. All right, so we've got uh, UFC uh, Fight Night in Raleigh, North Carolina. Headlined by Curtis Blades versus Junior Dos Santos. Now, last week, both of us, Joe, unfortunately uh, lost our pick. You had uh, Anthony Pettis. Yep. I had Cowboy Cerrone. So now we're both sitting at $90 on the year. We both lost. And two. both and we both lost in the first round, too, right? Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, Pettis, Pettis was, was second or Pettis first? Was first was I can that? check right now. I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, let me see. Second round. Second, second round. round. Okay. So I lost faster, but we both lost. There you go. Regardless. <laughs> Um, anyhow, who's your pick for uh, for this week? It's a uh, UFC uh, Fight Night in Raleigh. I think I'm doing parlay. I, th I think I'm going to do the same. I think so I'm let's doing see how a we parlay. Do. So um, I don't know. I'm going to go with uh, I like Curtis Blades in our main event. I think he's his wrestling is going to be the big difference. I haven't seen great things from Junior Dos Santos lately. Um, I just think Curtis Blades is going to be one of your next contenders. I think his ability to wrestle, um, his length, his striking's pretty good. Uh, so Curtis Blades, I'm gonna parlay him with my girl. I'm uh, gonna go with Angela. I figured Hill. you were gonna go Angela Hill for sure. Yeah. I think her length, her experience. Uh, the other girl's good. I mean, but I just think Angela Hill just has that. Uh, it just she's been active. She's been in the UFC. I think she had four fights in 2019. She's always active. She's sharp. She's, she's cowgirl. That's it. Yeah, she does it. She fights. I've known her for many years. I think she gets it done. So my parlay, Angela Hill to get it done as well as Curtis Blades. I think Curtis Blades gonna get a finish. To be honest with you, I think he's going to finish it within probably three rounds, if not within three rounds, I would say. And I think Angela Hill probably gets a nice decision win. You know what? I was going to do a parlay with Blades, too, but I'm going to throw that out the window because you just did that, and I'm, I'm going to be different. I'm going to go with Herbert Burns, even money. It's Gilbert Burns' younger brother. He's yeah, he a, looks good. Yeah, man. he's a real up-and-comer. Yeah, uh, like this him. guy that he's fighting, Nate Landwehr, though, I've heard a lot of good things about. I don't know that much about him, admittedly. So uh, don't you know jump off this cliff with me, but I think that Herbert Burns is going to be a real prospect in the UFC. He didn't show that well at the Contender Series, but I think that he turns it around this particular time and gets a win. Obviously, his brother Gilbert is in camp, and he's fighting in the coming weeks. So um, that's where I'm going to go. I think that that's uh, straight up, or you yeah, I'm just going to go straight up. It's plus 100, so yeah. it's just, just even money. What's your take? I can't really. I know we talked about it earlier with uh, Dos Anjos being ranked number five. Are you giving Kiesa a good shot in this fight? I, I think I'm giving him a better shot than the odds. Uh, I think that Kiesa um, has a lot going for him. So uh, why don't we uh, look at uh, look at how he can win this fight, which is, I think, on the ground. He's got, I don't know if it's really a huge advantage because Dos is very good on the ground, but even on the feet, like I, I don't see him being totally you know, out of his element against a guy like RDA. I think that he can, he, he's never really looked bad in a fight. He's lost fights before, but it's rare that you see Kiesa not look himself in a fight. I thought that the Pettis fight might be the first time that we've seen him not look great. That was after he lost weight. He uh, missed weight. Yeah. But uh, 
Now that he's at 170, he's going to be healthy. He can eat going into this uh, this camp. Yeah. I spoke to him uh, earlier today. We're going to hear that interview momentarily, but uh, he seems like he's in a really good headspace. Yeah, he's always seems to be. Yeah, in he's, a good he's space, one of my favorite you know? guys to interview. He's just a real guy. Is, it, is it just me or like personality wise? Does he kind of give you a little bit of um, uh, Wonder Boy? Like, yeah, a just little bit. Nice and it's very funny. I actually interviewed and, like, him and Wonder Boy back to back once. Yeah, and I, I find them very similar in their in their in their voice, the way they talk, very well mannered, polite. You know, I, I find some similarities. I could be totally wrong just from the, the little bit that I know them, but I, I like Kiesa, man. I think he's going to do good. One of my favorite Kiesa moments was uh, I was covering an event. I forget who, which fight dropped out, but uh, there was a fight at 155 where one of the guys had to withdraw, like, during fight week or whatever. And I saw Kiesa backstage, and I went up to him. I was like, hey, would you take, like, if you were offered this fight on short notice, would you take it? He goes, I'd take it, but I weigh 192 pounds right now. <laughs> like, yeah, well, yeah. then I guess you wouldn't take it. You're not going to lose 37 yeah. pounds in, yeah. uh, in one night. What ended up happening? I never followed through with the whole Connor situation with his eye. Did he end up getting a settlement? Or I, I was going to ask him today, but every time I ask him, he says I can't talk about it. So yeah. I, I would imagine it's still ongoing. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I mentioned that Connor's now ranked ahead of him at welterweight, yes, and he, he said, like, obviously there's a, a major flaw to the system. But he said, basically, this is the thing. If he beats RDA, he's now a top five welterweight because that's just the way the rankers work. If you beat someone, you basically steal the ranking. I wouldn't want to fight Kiesa. He's dangerous. He's grappling. Dangerous everywhere. He, he's, you know, he's scrappy, especially if it goes on the ground. I think he's great. I mean, yeah, he's scary to me. Yeah. I think he's going to be a tough fight for RDA. Yeah, I, think I wouldn't be surprised if, if he pulls it off. I'll be honest with mm-hmm. you. I wouldn't be surprised if Kiesa you, pulls it off. You're changing your pick on me here, Joe? No, I'm not changing. I said I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I'm not changing the pick. My parlay is locked in. Final answer. But, uh, yeah, I think Kiesa's uh, not getting enough credit here. All right. Well, if anybody was curious who the second leg of my Blades parlay was going to be, it uh, was Lucia Pudilova, if, okay. you're, if you're interested. Um, but that's not my official pick. I'm, I'm going officially with Herbert Burns. All right, you have to give me the the fight I should kind of watch that maybe is not so popular. I've heard good things about Arnold Allen. Um, yeah, fighting out of Montreal. I heard he's pretty good. I heard he's a tri-star guy. Um, what, what say you? I would go Perez versus Espinosa. I just think that's going to be a fast, fun fight. It's flyweights. Um, the men's flyweights have been really performing well because you know you never know what's going on with that division. Um, and if you want to look at some uh, someone new, I, Herbert Burns obviously is a good prospect, but uh, Tony Gravely, who's fighting Brett Johns, is, looks really good on the Contender Series as well. So uh, those are the ones that I would say are uh, the ones to watch. All right. Um, a lot of Contender Series fighters on this also. You know, I, when I saw Dana, I interviewed Dana White last week, and uh, I said to him, he took, gave me the full tour. He gave me the tour of his, he has his own private kitchen his own mm. with two people working staff. He's got his own private gym. You went through the offices yeah, and everything. Yeah, and he took There was me, a cool Ramon Decker's uh, picture in there. I, I can't remember if I saw it or not. Yeah, because one of my friends is uh, his brother, his stepbrother. So he goes and they took a picture at it with it. So I kind of wanted to see that when I went, but I didn't get to yeah, see Dana's it. Dana's office is just crazy. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, he showed me all this That's stuff. That's where he, you did the interview, right? Yeah, in his office. So hey, I walked into cool. his office, and, like, he's got all this crazy stuff. He's got samurai statues from, like, the real samurai era. Oh, and, like, sure. sa- and the swords, like, the matching sword and all this crazy cool memorabilia stuff. Like, And uh, the only thing that drew my eye was he has, like, a Macintosh turntable in there, like a new Macintosh turntable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably worth, like, $30,000. And as you know, I'm a record collector. My eyes were, like, glued to did this thing. Did you ask thing. him? Yeah, when, when, Dana, when Dana came in, I was like, there's lots of cool stuff in your office, but this record player is like yeah. all I'm caring about so right now. He bonded a bit about it? Or? Yeah, he says he has lots of records too. Hey, nice. Um, but he says he basically needs to get, he doesn't have like the amp or speakers yet. He's going to like, 
Yeah, basically, yeah, I think it's it going to be like close to a hundred thousand dollars when all said and done for this system. But like this, uh, this turntable was like, I was like drooling over this yeah. thing. But uh, so he took me into the war room where they make all the fights. And then during that's what the, it's called, the war room. I like that. Something like that. I think they call it. That. Or you made it up. I, whatever. I like the it war room. Yeah. The, whatever it is. I think maybe they call it the war room. But uh, if they don't, they should call it that. Yeah. So uh, he took me in there, and uh, it has all the upcoming fights on mm. the wall. So uh, I'm doing the interview with him, and I go, you know, for 246, there's lots of contenders. Did you peak? You got the peak? Well, here's, here's the story, Joe. Like, let's not, let's not get I'm getting excited. Let's go. So um, I said, uh, I saw that there's so many different up-and-coming talent on the undercard of 246 was that by design. He goes, he goes, if you go into that room, we put a blue dot next to all the contender series fighters that are lined up and this whole, the whole wall is basically blue dots. Blue dots. And I go, well, I don't know. I didn't look at it. I was making eye contact with you the whole time. Yeah, I wasn't and, sure and he goes, allowed. And he goes, uh, he goes, I saw that. He goes, I'm proud of you for doing that. I go, yeah. well, I, if I break one of these fights, I don't want you to think that I took it off the wall. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like uh, it, you've seen Charlie in the Char- Chocolate Factory yeah. where he gives the everlasting gobstoppers back to him. And like, you it, did yeah. it. You did it, yeah. You, here's the key. I was hoping Dana White would give me the keys to Zufa headquarters. Yeah, it didn't, yeah. didn't go down that way. You didn't set up like a hidden cam or something to get nothing. Hey, oh, listen, I, I play by the rules, Joe. There you go. I don't, yeah. want, to, I don't want to compromise my up. work. Yeah. But Dana White acknowledged that I was making full Good. eye contact with him in that room because I don't want uh, anybody to think that I'm, I'm sneaking stuff. That interview, I was impressed with. I liked it. I really enjoyed the part of the, uh, the interview where you brought up last year's stats that you guys yeah, went through. Yeah, our odds, yeah. That was perfect. The I third year it. we've done it. I think that, that was great. It added a good touch. And he seemed to be into it, which was great. It kind of created like this whole like him thinking back and guessing and predicting. And you can kind of ask him questions, but in a cool, creative way. So I thought that was a, a fun part of the interview. It was the Keep num- it up. It was the Keep number one, one thing on MMA Reddit on the day of the fight. It was wicked. I was like, oh, that's awesome. It was creative because, again, the talk part was good. Don't get me wrong. It was good. But the interview got so much better when it got to that little segment part. So that could be something you do with other guys, too. But I thought that was a a smart little way to make the interview a lot more fun. And I really enjoyed that part of it. And I saw your buddy, uh, Maynard James Keenan, on stage. Yeah, you went. But I went and saw Tool. It was cool. Yeah, yeah. Did you? He he always trips me out with his little. So when he sits down and he's kind of rocking, it's I, I had, weird. I was sitting so high weird. up, weird. But yeah, yeah. He, was, he had his own platform. And yeah, yeah, it was yeah. Cool. Probably the same setup. The mm-hmm. drummer was phenomenal. The set too. was apparently similar. A friend of mine went to the one that you went to. Yeah, and I was talking to him about it today, and he said that the set was. Uh, what did you take from it overall? Do you like it? Yeah, it was great. I've never seen Tool, and I the thing about me with Tool is like I'm not a big diehard fan. I I I love the first two albums and the first EP. Yeah, and from there I kind of like tapered off a little stuff. bit. But I had heard a lot of the songs that he played, I guess, at some point in time because they, I, a bunch of them resonated with me. And then when I looked at the set list, I was like, oh, there's lots of stuff from 10,000 Days, which I don't know how much of that I've heard. Yeah. Stuff from Lateralis, and I hadn't heard too much from that. So I was uh, looking at what they had played and trying to figure out where I knew those songs from. But yeah. Uh, nice. yeah, it was a really cool set. It was really good. And then after that, I went to go do a karaoke and did uh, Enter Sandman by Metallica, which, was, you're, you're which a, was a big hit. You're a karaoke guy. Not really. I was just invited out. No. Did it involve whiskey before, at least? Yeah, so I tried. I was going to say, actually, there's no way I would be able to do it at all. I still, even with whiskey or whatever, would not be able to do it. So here's, uh, here's the, uh, am I allowed to talk about the amount of liquor I consumed that day? Well, yes, whiskey was consumed. We can sidebar the rest of the conversation <laughs> off air. Uh, but yeah, I, I felt uh, bad the uh, next morning. Let's just okay. get was it, it proper 12 whiskey? I, I tried that for the first time. Okay. A, a friend of mine, Rodney James Edgar, who covers the sport, uh, came to Tool and he brought, brought a bottle and yeah. we, 
We tried it. It's okay. It's that like, was almost, you know what? It's like Jameson. For me, it was almost like a, a Christmas gift I used this year. Because a lot of friends knew I was into like uh, into the fighting, obviously. So when I went to their house, I just thought it would cool. I brought them a proper 12 bottle. It's only like 39 bucks yeah, Canadian or something. Did it come with the box? Because apparently they had, no, they no. had it in a box for the Christmas season. So a I lot of my friends, so now that, once they have it, they think about me. It was my gift of yeah. getting to think about fighting. There you go. I asked them about the proper 12 box in one of the scrums because I thought it was a good look. I said it looks like a premium product when you put it in the box. And he was like, yeah, we did that for the Christmas season. We're going to release yeah. a lot of different – they're going to apparently be releasing a lot of different variants of uh, proper 12 in the coming nice. years. Well, so, doing well regardless. And he said he has a cask set aside for his son so that when he turns 21, he can like <laughs> open it. Hey. Yeah, so, yeah, right. There's some inside inside whiskey. Uh, so I guess to kind of get Connor to open up, you kind of mention his son, the proper twelve. That probably gets him excited before he gets into those nitty gritties. And the... well, there was one moment where he kind of went to like dark side Connor in my first interview with him, where I asked him about um, the training camp for the Khabib fight, and he goes, uh, "When I went to Brooklyn, and I and I threw that dolly through the bus, in my mind, the job was done." <laughs> he goes. He stood, there at the, he stood there on the bus behind those women. And at that point, the job was done. And that's why when I was training for the fight, I didn't feel like I had anything else to... I was like, oh, well, that, went, that just went south a little bit. But yeah, I yeah, saw something Jeez, like switch. Yeah. He actually had finished his answer. And if I hadn't have paused for like three seconds, he wouldn't have been able to... I saw that his mind was kind of going. So he let it go. I kind of let it breathe. Yeah, And then he kept going. And he kept going. Yeah. That's, that's, when, that's, when the, that's when the switch flicked. And the he was pauses like, are key. Let me give you some, uh, some insight here, my man. Um, so uh, let's talk to Michael Chiesa. He's in the co-main event of UFC Fight Night in Raleigh, North Carolina, taking on Rafael Dos Anjos, who was uh, champion of the 155 division when mm-hmm. Chiesa competed in the 155 division. So they both made the move up to 170. They both had some fights at 170, and now they will fight one another. And uh, that comes to you right here on the TSN MMA Show. Joining me now in the co-main event of UFC Fight Night in Raleigh, North Carolina, repping the NC State Wolfpack, a very smart move in this uh, neck of the woods, is Michael Chiesa. How are you, Mike? Doing good. How are you? I'm good, man. So RDA, he was the champion at lightweight when you were in that division. What would a, me, a win over him mean to you, keeping that in mind? Um, it's really not about the, what he's done in the past. It's about, you know, just the position that he's in now. Speak of the devil, he's right there. What up, boys? <laughs> hey, guys, how are you? <laughs> I was just waving to him right now. <laughs> um, you know, it's just it's an exciting matchup, man. He's super tough. He's ranked number five. He's right where I want to be. So, um, you know, I got to go out there and beat the guy and take his spot. You know, I've already competed against some of the best guys in the division. I fought Jorge Masvidal, lightweight. He's ranked like three or four right now. You know, and I gave him a hell of a fight. So, you know, I've already, ta- you know, I've, even though it was years ago, I've already, I've already touched the top okay, of the heap at welterweight. You know what I mean? So, um, I'm just looking to go out there and have a good fight. I interviewed you backstage following your welterweight debut, the win over Carlos Condit. It's one of the happiest I've ever seen a fighter after a win. <laughs> was that your favorite win of your career, or are you typically just that happy? Yeah, I mean, for me, there, there was a lot going into that. So, uh, Carrillo, how you doing? Hey, buddy. Good to see you, man. Good, good. Good to see you guys. I'm talking to this guy. Hey, look. It's all good. Carrillo, the master. You know, for me, that was such a stressful time, man. Two losses in a row. Um, you know, I had a very tumultuous 2018, and, uh, you know, that there was just a lot of pressure on me that fight. And, uh, you know, it, there was personal reasons, there was professional reasons, and uh, getting that win over Carlos, man, just t- it just took such a weight off my shoulders. I mean, imagine 
imagine you've lost two fights in a row and then you decide to go up a weight class and you're going in to compete against a guy that you've looked up to your whole career in a totally new, you know, everything is it, it, total foreign territory. Never lost two fights in a row. Never fought at welterweight. Never fought, you know, uh, never beat a former world champion. You know, I came up short to Pettis. There's just so much, so much foreign stuff going on. And, uh, you know, it's just really, it, it was, there was a lot of nerves that fight. So when I got that win, man, that's why, like, after the fight, I was like this. I was like, holy shit, this really happened. You know what I mean? So um, I'm just happy everything panned out the way it did. I'm in this position I'm in now. I've often said about you, if it wasn't for bad luck, you'd have no luck at all. And it seems like you're finally on a roll, hitting your stride. Um, you know, you're currently unranked at welterweight. I looked at the rankings two days ago, and now Conor McGregor's ranked at welterweight. He's also ranked third at lightweight. Do you think that this ranking system needs to change? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's always improvements to be made in any aspect of the sport and the rankings and everything. Yeah, I think there's things that could be changed. We were just, I was just talking about that with DC, Fitz, and Bisping. Um, that there's some the rankings are a little awkward you know Pettis isn't ranked at lightweight but he's still ranked at welterweight and weird things like that you know and he's you know it, you could argue that he's earned his spot in the rankings because he knocked out Wonder Boy so it's like there's, there's some there's some things that could be adjusted for sure you know the thing about hey as long as I win and get in the rankings that's fine I don't care you know what I mean so just I I I've honestly was a little perplexed I'm not the rankings um just because you know, I left I left lightweight at number nine, and uh, you know I fought Carlos. I think Carlos was 15 at the time when I beat him, and I don't know what happened. It just didn't get me in the rankings. I know a win over Diego doesn't warrant any movement into the top 15, but you know I thought that you know coming down and getting a couple wins would kind of get me up there, but it really doesn't matter at this point because now I got the biggest fight of my career against the, you know, this is, this is, you couldn't ask for a better fight. I mean, you get guys that are begging for a shot against a top 15 guy, especially a welterweight, one of the deepest weight classes in the UFC. Um, you get guys begging for a shot at just a top bottom of the top 15 got fighter. And I'm going from zero to five. So it's such a gift, man. And I just, I just want to take advantage of this opportunity and make it mine. Yeah, it's good that RDA is number five because he said recently, you know, rankings didn't exist in the past. But, you know, people just kept active and kept fighting guys that, that were worthy. He says you're worthy. But you could be a big beneficiary of this. Look at Darren Till. He's now top five in the middleweight division after getting that win over Gastelum. Is that how you look at this fight is you win this fight and you're suddenly in the top five? Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, there's no other way to look at it. That's the motivation, man. Like. I, I go out there and beat the guy, take his spot. You know what I mean? I know I got to go through the fire to beat him. You know what I mean? This is a really tough fight. You know, I'm going to have to go through three rounds of hell to beat this guy. But I'm fit for it, man. I mean, I, I've been through a lot in my life and my career. There's nothing that tells me that I can't win this fight. You know what I mean? So I got a lot of conviction, man. I'm really excited for this fight. I'm really excited to just go out there and compete against the guy. I want to go hard, and, and it's easy win. I got a lot of respect for him. You know, obviously, they just – I'm just shaking hands with Perillo, and I you know, I see RDA. It's it's, it's – you know, it, we're, we're just fierce competitors, you know what I mean? And I'm really excited to just go out and compete against the guy. I'm getting antsy in my seat talking about it. I'm like, <laughs> let's freaking go. Pardon my language. <laughs> and finally, I, I hate to put the horse before the cart, but, um, yeah. or the cart before the horse, rather. Uh, if you do win this fight again, top five, pick your poison. Who do you think you would have the best shot against in the top five right now? You've got Colby, Usman, Woodley, Edwards, and uh, Jorge Madrigal, who you fought previously. Anybody, anybody. I probably wouldn't really have much interest in fighting Jorge again. Um, I had a hell of a fight against him. You know what I mean? I, I arguably 
gave him the toughest fight of his career in the UFC. You know what I mean? I had a really good first round against him, and he, he got me with one second. He beat me by one second. One second. One second left in the second round. I don't really have any interest in competing against him again. Um, we're buddies now. Um, it's whatever, but... Uh, yeah, anybody. I don't care. You know, if I if I beat RDA on Saturday, which I really believe I can do, I can get the job done. Um, anybody. I don't care. Leon, Tyron, the champ. It doesn't matter. I, my, my goal is in 2020 is number one contender. All right, Michael, we appreciate this. It's on TSN 5 this Saturday, UFC Fight Night in Sweet. Raleigh, North Carolina. Appreciate your time. Awesome. Thanks, guys. That was Michael Chiesa in a good mood. Prior to his fight against Rafael Dos Anjos, he will weigh in on Friday morning. And always in a good mood. Come yeah, on. Yes, it is always in a good yeah. mood, except for when he's scratched from a fight due to a bus incident. Yeah. Then he was not. Other than that. You know, it's funny. Kiesa, like, he's had terrible luck in the UFC. And I always talk to him about this because it's, it's like, baffling to me. So he was on the Ultimate Fighter. His, um, his dad dies while he's on the Ultimate Fighter and he has to leave. Yeah. So... That's like something like a traumatic thing happens to him while he's trying to get to the UFC. His dad never gets to see him get make it to the UFC. Ends up winning the Ultimate Fighter. Um, so of course that's that's a good thing. Beats Ally Quinta, becomes the Ultimate Fighter. Then he fights Jorge Masvidal. Has an amazing first round against Jorge Masvidal. Uh, second round, Masvidal turns turns the table and taps him out with one second left in the in the second round. And he was yeah. he even during this interview that we just uh, aired, he was he still is annoyed by that. Um. Joe Lozon, he's beating Joe Lozon, beats him up for the first round. Might have even been a 10-8 round, if I recall. And then Joe Lozon, second round, opens up a cut on Chiesa, and the doctor stops it midway through the second round. So yep. that, ha- that happens. I'm waiting for the next one. I know what's coming up. And then uh, the bus incident was when? 2018. So then you've got June. He fights Kevin Lee. That's the one That's I was the thinking. One. Rear naked choke. Chiesa never Says taps. he doesn't go up. Never, yeah. never taps. Pop. Ref stops the fight. Bad luck again. Then there's the bu- the bus incident in uh, 2018, where um, he ha- has his fight scratched because of Connor threw the dahlia, the buzzing a cut with glass. Um, so that happens. But since then, and then he loses to Anthony Pettis uh, by a triangle. So after lose- after missing weight, and now since then he's been good. He's- he beat yeah, Condit, he beat Diego so. Sanchez. So mindset, and, uh, yeah. So now Start he's he's turned it around. But he's he's overcome so much in his career. And actually, I asked him about the Condit fight because I'd never seen a fighter that happy backstage yeah. to that point. I've seen Kama Worthy since then, and Kama Worthy is the happiest I've ever seen backstage. But he has to said basically he'd gone through so much. It was his first fight at 170. It really meant a lot to him. So that was nice to hear. If you're, it's a mindset, law of attraction. If you think you get bad luck, you're going to get bad luck. You yeah. say you're lucky. You I think he just lucky. got bad luck. I don't know if he yeah. thought he was going to get bad luck, but if he if he didn't, well, it, his it certainly came. Changing. Yes. Good. So uh, there you have it. That's uh, Michael Chiesa. Um, and in the main event, we've got a, a fantastic fight. Curtis Blades taking on Junior Dos Santos as Curtis Blades once again tries to. Uh, enter title contention after he's lost twice to Francis yeah. Ngannou and now he's going to try to stay in the conversation when he faces Junior Dos Santos who tries to stay in the conversation at heavyweight as well. Yeah. Uh, and that headlines UFC Fight Night in Raleigh, North Carolina. It airs on TSN 5 and this is Curtis Blades on the TSN MMA show. Joined now by Curtis Razor Blades main event UFC Fight Night in Raleigh, North Carolina against former champion Junior Dos Santos. Dos Santos, obviously best weapon is on the feet. You've never made any qualms about the fact that you like to take this to the ground. Is that going to be the key strategy here against JDS? That's always my strategy. My game plan is a, a universal game plan. I don't I don't adjust it for any opponent. Like 
I'm always going to be the better wrestler, and that's always going to be my advantage, and it's always going to be the best half of victory for me. So I'm always going to be looking to use my wrestling. You did some of this training camp with Alistair Overeem, who's become a, a steady training partner of yours. He's fought Junior Dos Santos before. Has he given you any sort of hacks in terms of how to beat JDS like he has in the past? I mean, he's he's given me like ideas, but we're different fighters. He's more of a striker. He's got he's got the knees and uh, the the kicks and whatnot. So he presents a different problem for Junior. And I'm like you, we just alluded. I'm the wrestler, so I present a totally different problem. But uh, he has given me ideas. He's he's uh, told me just from his own experiences that I'm I'm the stronger guy. Like he's he's been in the the clinch with Junior. He's been in the clinch with me, and he he believes I'm the stronger guy. So that's good to know. The thing I love about Alistair is he's always got a smile on his face. I saw him backstage after the Francis Ngannou loss, and that was one of the most vicious knockouts you'll ever see. And he was just walking around smiling, chatting with people. Uh, he had a very devastating loss to Yair Rosenstruck in the last couple seconds of a five-round fight. Have you seen him since, and what's his mood like uh, since then? I haven't seen him, like, uh, personally because he went back to Holland to, uh, to get um, facial surgery out there. But we have uh, spoken on Instagram, and... He's in a good mood. I, th I think r right now he's with his, his uh, family out in Thailand, just enjoying some uh, time off. And he's in good spirits. He, he's a professional. He, he handles like wins and losses like a professional. He doesn't let it ruin his day, ruin his week. He, he, he knows it's just business. He gets a, a paycheck and he goes home and he's just um, enjoying life right now. I'm happy for him. You've had two losses to Francis Ngannou. Do you worry that that's going to be something that will keep you from getting a title shot at some point? No. Uh, there's not many bodies um, ahead of me, so I know eventually I'm going to be here for a while. Eventually I'm going to get my, my uh, title. I'm not in the race. All these other guys are all old. They're all older than me. It's juniors, 35, Stipe's, 38, D.C., it's almost 40. Um, even in Ghana, he's like five or six years older than me. I'm going to be here, so I'm not in a rush. It's a good way of looking at it. And finally, DC against Stipe. It looks like that rematch is going to be made. And DC has said he wants to retire after that. If Cormier wins, has the UFC given you any sort of direction of what would happen next? Could we have a heavyweight tournament? That would be kind of cool. <laughs> no, I haven't heard anything about a, like a heavyweight Grand Prix or anything like that. Uh, I think if you, if DC were to win that fight and then uh, vacate it, who knows? But most likely it would probably be me or Ngannou versus um, Stipe. That's probably what they would do. Well, one can dream of a heavyweight Grand Prix, and we will do that until the time comes. Uh, thanks uh, so much for this, Curtis, and best of luck to you against JDS this weekend. No problem, man. Thank you. That was Curtis Blades on the TSN MMA show. Uh, one of the top prospects at heavyweight still, if you want to even consider him a prospect at this point. But I uh, put a stat out earlier that he was actually he's actually younger going into this fight against Junior Dos Santos than Francis Ngannou was when he debuted. Hey. So he's like still very young in his career. And then I also posted that Junior Dos Santos was actually younger than Blades is now when he won the title. He was like 27. Yeah. So he, he's been around for some time. So yeah. uh, One of my friends is a striking numbers. coach, so Sean Madden. Juniors or Blades? No, Blades. Oh, in yeah. Denver. In Denver, in team yeah. 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 So I'm curious. I see them posting now. That's what I just kind of looked at now quickly. I looked at my phone just to see what they're doing. 
I mean, but yeah, Sean Madden will be in his corner. Muay Thai guy says, you know, Blades is good. Because yeah. every time I see him, I was like, Blades is, man, I, I just so big, strong, awkward, athletic. He's like, so he talks really highly of him, so I'm excited. Yeah, I remember talking to his coaches. I did a piece on Curtis Blades, and they said that his striking was basically a zero when he came to the camp. Yeah. Like, he just had terrible yeah. footwork, yeah. and they've had to improve everything. And they said that he's like really, they, I think they said he was a seven when I last spoke to him. So yeah. I imagine he's improved hey, even more since good. then. Pretty good, zero to seven. They also told me at that time, which was like probably like two years ago, that Corey Sandhagen was a ten. Yeah, <laughs> so they okay. have a lot of faith in Corey there Sandhagen. You go. Yeah, uh, they they have, have very high hopes for him to become a champion out of the yeah, I think team a lot elevation. of people do. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and Team Elevation got a good win over the weekend. I don't remember who it was, but I saw Elliot Marshall backstage. Um, I'm trying to remember who got a win on that team, but uh, either way. Uh, let's continue as we uh, speak to Leon Edwards, who recently signed a contract extension with the UFC that has championship language in it, and we'll delve into that a little bit more. He's facing Tyron Woodley in March, headliner for UFC Fight Night in London, England. Big opportunity for him. First Huge. fight for Tyron Woodley since he's dropped the title. So uh, whoever wins this fight is definitely going to be improving their position in that division, possibly getting the next shot at the title when Kamaru Usman heals from uh, whatever hand injury he currently has. And he joins us now on the TSN MMA Show. It's Leon Edwards. Joined now by Leon Edwards, who's joining us from his vehicle in uh, Birmingham, England. Uh, Leon, first off, congratulations on your contract extension, which I understand has championship language in it. A win over Tyron Woodley. Is a championship or bust after that? Thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, after this fight, it's, it's, it's a title shot for me. It's already um, written in the in the contract, and I've been a nine-four win streak, the second most to the to the to the champion. So I am looking forward to going out there and marching, performing, and putting Tyron away. Tyron's manager says something along the lines of, "You know, it's it's hard to sell a pay-per-view sometimes, and that Tyron has more fans than there are people in your country." He's kind of, I guess, putting <laughs> you down in a roundabout way. Um, what, what do you think of when you hear that sort of thing? <laughs> Um, it means nothing to me. Uh, they, they're more worried about um, followers and Twitter and Instagram, and but he needs to worry about not getting his ass whooped. You know what I mean? And that's what's gonna happen. He's, he's coming over to the UK to my home ground, and I will dominate him in the UK. And it, it's gonna be an exciting night for the UK fans and uh, uh, my UK fan base. So I'm looking forward to the task ahead, and it'd be, it'd be a good night. He's more worried, worried about social media, and that's all he's mentioning is social media. So. Let's see what happens on fight night. You, uh, you mentioned um, that a championship fight you believe is next for you. Uh, do you think that Usman ends up fighting uh, Masvidal next? Do you believe that that's the direction they go in with the division? Um, I don't know because I think Usman is injured at the moment, the same. So if we could fight in March and he's still injured, he's still free before summer. I think I'll be the next in line. Um, that's what I've been written in my contract. I, I, I am next in line. So um, it depends. If if it's fine before, like probably like April, May, then the might make that fight happen. But if not, it'll 100% be me for the summertime. Can you elaborate on Can you elaborate on that being how it's built into your contract? So the wording is: if you beat Tyron Woodley, you, you're going to get a title shot next, no matter what. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, after beating Tyron Woodley, um, I'll, I will receive a title shot next. Um, uh, like I said, I, I'm a, I've been a most fight win streak in the division, um, dominating. I just dominated the former world champion. So um, after beating him, it's guaranteed I am I am next in line. You mentioned that win streak 
each win more impressive than the next, seven in a row. What do you think you can do eight. in this next fight to get the attention of, of the, I guess, the mainstream MMA fan? A lot of people always talk about how you don't have the name value. You know, Masvidal has said he doesn't want to fight you because of the name value. It's all of his marketing uh, mumbo-jumbo. But what do you think you can do to, to get more shine on you uh, after this fight? That's eight fights in a row, yeah? Not seven. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. Don't, mind, don't be the minister of your accomplishments. Uh, um... I don't, I don't know. I'm more focused on what, what, what I need to do in the cage and just control what I can control. You know what I mean? If we want to start thinking outside of that and start thinking, oh, what can I do to get the fans to like me? What can I do to get the fighters to like me? You know what I mean? Then they start losing fights. So I'm just focusing on going out there performing. I feel I need to finish Woodley as well to 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 show the world that I am that I am here, that I am number one and that I am ready to fight for the world title. So I'm going out there to finish Tyron Woodley um, and prove to the world I am number one. You recently said in an interview that Woodley was forced into taking that fight. What, do you, what did you learn about that particular circumstance? Um, nothing really, just what I knew before. That is just a moan, he just moans about everything, you know what I mean? And he's like, I want, I want a title shot, but you already told me he's not getting a title shot. So um, I think just just a moaner and that, that's it really. He, he, he's moaning about everything. He didn't did want to come to the UK before. He's like, oh, I'm not traveling. I'm not coming to the UK to fight. He's like, what, what are you talking? I said, I come to, I come to, the, to America then to fight you. He's like, nah, making another excuse. So, um, like I said, I'm young. I'm fresh. I am on a great journey here, and it's gonna be a good night come March 21st. You're managed by Tim Simpson. Obviously, a massive weekend for Paradigm Sports with the win of Conor McGregor. What did you think of his performance this past weekend? <laughs> It was a good performance. I I I, I like Conor. You know what I mean. And even out there, did what he needed to do. Um, beating a guy I've beat before, um, Donald Cerrone, and uh, he, he, he done well. He done well. Uh, he looked good at the weight. I, I think he probably moved move back down now, probably, and fight someone at lightweight, um, like Khabib or somebody, or probably DS3 maybe at welterweight. So, but he, he looked good. He looked he looked good. How did that fight go compared to how you thought it would go? Um, I knew leading, leading up to the fight that if Conor, Conor starts fight, he's a, he's a fast starter and um, Cowboy's a slow starter. So I knew that if it was going to go, if it was going to um, finish, if we, we would finish early and that's exactly what happened. If, if it was going to be that quick, but that's exactly what happened. Um, Cowboy went into his shell um, like he does most times and Conor just, just, just um, barraged him with shots and just, that's it. We broke him. And finally, some, a fight with some implications in terms of the top five of the division this uh, coming weekend in Raleigh, North Carolina. Rafael Dos Anjos versus Michael Chiesa. How do you see this one going? That'd be a great fight. Uh, um, I'll probably go with Rafael. I think, I think he gets it done. Uh, I think he's, he's the better martial artist out of them two. And I think it'd be good to get him back in, on a win streak. And he's a former world champion. So um, I'll probably go with Rafael for the victory. Stoppage. And last we spoke, you wanted your brother, to, Fabian, to potentially fight in the UFC sometime down the line. What's his contract status like? When he, could he potentially join the UFC if that was an option? Um, I've been trying to get him to the UFC for the last, last two or three years. And um, I think he's happy at Bellator now. They're, they're looking after him. Um, I think they, they, they're paying him enough to keep him there. And But I, I'd love to have him in, in the UFC with me this year, um, hopefully. I think I've got like, probably like four fights left. Three, now three fights left. So after this year, we'll have a look again, and 
the USA would be great to have two brothers in the USA. I know the goal is to capture the world title in Bellator, and my goal is to capture the world title in, in the USA. And that'd be a great accomplishment to to have two brothers catch catch the world titles in, in, in two of the biggest organizations in the world. You know what I mean? So um, I'm just supporting what everyone wants to do, and as long as I'm getting paid, and it's, it's all good. And finally, in terms of X's and O's for yourself versus Woodley, what do you think is the best tactic? For facing him, I mean, we saw what happened with Usman in terms of the, the pace when yeah. when the pace was picked up on him. That's when he started to fail as as it went down the line in terms of the, the five rounds. You're all about pace. Yeah. You're all about precision. Do you think that if you just do what Leon Edwards has done the last couple of fights, that you're going to have a big advantage over him in, in terms of uh, the pacing and in terms of the stand up? Yeah, for sure. For stand up wise, for sure. Um, there's like many ways to be him, right? Like you can look at the the Roy McDonald route. You can look at the Usman route. Um, the Nate Mark Order. There's many, many. It's been knocked out before. It's been outstruck before. It's been arrested before. There's many ways to beat him, right? So just, I'll just work with my team, come up with a, with a great plan for me, and I'll pick from all them fights, even when look his best, and just prepare for the best world ever they've ever been in. It's gonna be a great night. Well, Leon, it's been a pleasure watching you improve in the UFC. Uh, every fight on that win streak, you seem to be doing better and better. So congratulations on your success and on the brand new contract with the UFC. Good man. Thank you for having me. That was Leon Edwards on the TSN MMA show. Thanks to everybody who has listened to the show today. A lot of good guests. Yeah. Joe, it was nice to hear your take on the McGregor fight. Yeah, it was nice to hear your back, you know, stories of it. You know, yeah, not you, being there. You love, like the off, you love the off-camera stuff. I've seen what happened. You know, I want to hear <laughs> what happened behind the scenes, you know, if there's any cool stories behind and what happens and the atmosphere. One day I'm going to, like, pretend to be a journalist. I'm going to put on a, a, a nice little lanyard. I'm going to pretend like I'm doing something. You are a journalist. You interview people for glory. Yeah, but I mean, not for UFC. Yeah, Can so I pretend to be me. a reporter with you once? You be my camera guy or something. All right. Just chill. Yeah. I could just pretend. Yeah, it would give me more credibility. They'd see you with me, and they'd be like, oh, my God, this guy actually knows somebody uh, chill, yeah. who, uh, who knows what they're doing in this industry. Yeah, one day I'll come. All right, cool. Pick Let's it do up. it. Yeah, I'll set it up. I'd like it. Not doing karaoke, though. That's for sure. You're not going to sucker me into karaoke. If you if you if you have to do karaoke, like somebody had somebody to, put a gun to I've your head. I've never done it. One Todd song. Todd Grisham has had. Okay, but you have to do one song. Like, tell it, me right now what it would be. I what, would, what you would, would you be most confident doing? I would probably have to pick something ridiculous to make it more like a funny thing. So I don't know, because if I try to be good, it's not going to come out good. So it's better that I just try to be foolish. So maybe like a nice Backstreet Boy song or. I don't know. Ah, that's a tough one. I got to think that one. I'll have an answer for Is that. Oh yeah, song, and you'd be good. This was oh we. yeah, and just keep saying oh yeah. Dun, dun, dun. I'd be better as the back, the background singer. You know, I just need to make a few noises in the back, the hype man in the back, maybe. So you can sing, and I'll be your backup dancer, and I'll just make some noises in the back. Well, someone posted the karaoke of me doing Andrew Sandman. I'm not going to say who it is because people are going to find it. But, there you uh, go. Uh, and I are you happy don't. with it? You like that? Yeah, I, I, that's, that's my song. That's my go-to at karaoke. Yeah. I do Enter Sandman, and uh, people thought I killed it. Yeah, I don't know what, what I would pick. Bon Jovi would be fun. Everyone can sing along to it. It's oh, yeah. easier Living words. on a prayer. Yeah, yeah. something like that. Pull the mic out. Yeah, let everyone so you can engage the crowd. It's all about entertainment. If I'm going up, I'm entertaining the crowd. So, yeah. Mm. But I've never done it. I'm nervous. I get super shy. Uh, no matter how much liquid courage I'd have, I still have never done it. So I always, I always think it would be shy. It would be amazing if somebody did a show where, like, 
actual singers go and do karaoke to their own song and see if anybody like picks we'll up on notice it. it. Yeah. yeah, like they wear a costume. Like get Bon Jovi to wear like a black wig and like a handlebar mustache. I like it. And he does his own song. Yeah. And then see if like people are be like, wow, well, oh, you're really good. good. Yeah, you're yeah, really good. You sound just like him. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they thought about that one. Get them in like a fat suit. <laughs> yeah, I liked when uh, when basketball players and stuff they've dressed them up. I don't know who it was. I can't think of the basketball player, but they dress him up as an old guy. Oh yeah, and he Kyrie goes Irving. to the court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Irving. Yeah, that's fun. That's mm-hmm. cool. Something like that. You know, do it for fighting. All right, well, we'll dress, discuss- me, dress me up as an old guy and let me low kick people. <laughs> yeah, that see that there I would watch. Go. There you go. Oh, he's an old guy. He can't yeah, low kick me. You just go to the gym, start like wow. doing open palm strikes. Yeah, and then call out whoever call it is. Out some guy <laughs> at the gym, some big muscular guy. Yeah. Just tear their legs up. Smash him. I like it. Get him there to sign go. a waiver. See, beforehand. the Bazooka YouTube channel's growing. Look, if we yeah. start doing shows like you, that, you I'll did have that. a million dollars. <laughs> yeah, you did that. That's I'll a viral million video. subscribers. Yeah, exactly. There you go. I'm All right. thinking. All right, Joe. Well, thanks for this. We'll be back next week uh, where we will discuss more weird scenarios for viral videos involving Bazooka Joe. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.